All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, uh, we are here for another installment of the Punk Rock Barbershop, Black Artists Talking About Their White Influences. We are coming to you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, also known as Marion Anderson City. And the Punk Rock Barbershop is a podcast that is so unique, it just might be offensive. It is complex conversations around a simple topic, and it is literally the most engaging podcast ever created. Uh, I'm very excited uh, for my guest that is here today. We've we've been like talking over email for several months now. Right. We've had uh, a couple of maybe one or two phone conversations, but this is the first time that we're actually meeting in person. Yeah. So special guest, can you tell people... Uh, what who you are what what's your name and uh and what type of art do you create so my name is jennifer nettingham i am from chester county pennsylvania out in coatesville i am a fluid intention-filled peace-filled artist it's abstract it's comes from my heart after meditating and i just let go Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. All right. So you're so are you out in Coatesville now? Yes. OK. Um, so uh, and not to be like, what's Coatesville like? You know, because I'm, I'm not trying to sound like super national geographic y like I'm not trying to like, you know, engage in cultural voyeurism. But like I've never really been out to Coatesville. I've um, I've been to Chester County in West like Westchester, Paoli, Exton, um, I actually used to work with a guy um, f- uh, from Coatesville, but like everything that I've heard about Coatesville is that it's sort of like a mishmash of, you know, I mean, so like there's a fairly big black population, fairly yes. big white population. And like it used to be like an old steel town like back in yep. the day, but yep. there's also like a lot of farm country or like there's like some super rural parts as well. Yep. Is that is that all true? It's a mix of all of that. Okay. Um, it's got a really rich history. It's always misunderstood. Yeah. If you are from Westchester, people kind of give you side eye. Mm-hmm. If you say you're from Coatesville, right. it's like the suburbs of Philadelphia, or they think of us as, you know, being more Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people are afraid to come to Coatesville, yeah. but there's yeah. no reason to be afraid to come to Coatesville. Yeah. It's a great um, city. It is an old steel mm-hmm. uh, farm. And they hit like a depression yeah. and all of the money and all the people, because it was actually a very wealthy area, yeah. um, moved when that depression hit. And it is predominantly black. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's ch- changed over the years with the perception. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of farmlands. You can go from being in like the straight city where you see buses to going where you see goats and buffalo and sheep mm. in a matter of 10 minutes. Mm. Just a straight yeah. strut down the road. So you get a little of everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, which I dig because um, it's it's funny. So we, my wife and I, we went, we're down. My parents now live in Charlotte, North Carolina. So we went down there for Thanksgiving, spent about you know, like a week down there. 
Um, and they, my parents are in like the super like northern tip of Charlotte. Like it, it's an area that used to be farm country, and now it's just like strip malls and condos and like you know um, right. housing subdivisions and da 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 da. So we were having my wife and I were having lunch in the like downtown kind of like hipster area because uh, you know at any city that I go to, I like to find out like where's the like super niche hipster like where coffee costs like forty seven dollars. Right. It's like you know I I I like to have. I like to eat in hipster areas and I, you know, um, uh, I identify strongly with hipster culture, which I guess means I'm not a hipster because if you're an actual hipster, you don't say you're a hipster. <laughs> but, um, but you know, it's like I I don't spend $47 on coffee, but I'll spend like, you know, $16 on a, you know, shrimp and grits or whatever. Anyways, so we were driving from the like part of Charlotte where all that stuff is to like where my parents are. And so you go through like this really like rural stretch of Charlotte and like, you know, it's like a lot of just like old timey black people. Um, but like you straight up like see like just horses walking like along the side of the road. Um, yeah. Which I like, I love all, all of that. Like I'm just super intrigued by like, Oh, well t- 10 minutes ago I was like, like driving past like skyscrapers and million dollar condos. Yes. Yep. And now it's like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, there, there's a cow right that's there. A, <laughs> that's exactly yeah. how it is. Yeah. And yeah. And it's it's interesting. Yeah. Because when I first moved to Philly. Everything that I heard about Coatesville was like, you, you don't want to go to Coatesville. It's tough. Yes. And um, I was actually talking to a cousin of mine who lives in. Yeah, I think she's in Charlotte. Uh, she's a she's about to become a doctor. So she's in medical school somewhere. Uh, oh, yeah. In Richmond. But she was asking about moving to Philly and she was just like, ah, oh, like, is it safe? And, you know, I mean, and she's, she's not, um, you know, I mean, like she's not like uh super scared and, you know, she just kind of grew up in a relatively sheltered part of Charlotte. Cause I mean like Charlotte, fortunately just, there's a lot of affluence and a lot of middle-classness, mm-hmm. especially for the black community. It's like, you know, like there's a very huge black middle-class in Charlotte. So, so that's what she's growing up with. So I was explaining to her like my perceptions of Philly where I was saying it's like it's not that there are not parts that are there are parts where you need to be cautious in um but what I've really experienced firsthand is that even the communities that people say like oh, you don't want to go there it's like 10% of the people are engaged in 95% of the shenanigans and then there is also a difference between the like oh yeah um you know, maybe like these dudes on the corner probably shouldn't be like drinking or smoking weed at like three in the afternoon. Like that's, you know, if right. if if you're trying to like really make it in the world, I don't know if getting drunk every single day is the way to go. Right. Um, <laughs> But those dudes aren't necessarily like they're not necessarily dangerous people like like the, the amount of like actually like actively criminally uh, malevolent people is a very small right. degree. Um, are there people who could possibly have made better choices in life? Absolutely. But as someone who grew up in very wealthy suburbia, I knew tons of kids who made very horrible choices and they just had the benefit of like, oh yeah, well like your, your mom's a venture capitalist. So if you do all this dumb stuff, you've got literally hundreds of thousands of dollars at your disposal and a mansion to like kind of insulate you. So that's pretty much, um, uh, and it's I you know I think it's kind of like a you know uh, a, an interesting story of how we got connected because so I 
so as I mentioned, you know, I know some people who like live out in the Chester County area. So a very good friend of mine, John, who's like a brother to me, he is from Westchester. He went to, I think he went to high school and elementary school with someone that you know through Facebook, Jill Green Roxbury. Yep. But is someone who you've not never like actually met. Never met. Okay. No. <laughs> but like you, you kind of talk on Facebook and you're she's, like. She's a friend it turns out we have a lot of friends in common, mm-hmm. which makes no sense because the friends we have in common are friends we both do things with. Sure. But we've never met. And because of the beauty of Facebook and connection, um, we started commenting on each other's stuff. And she liked things I said. I liked things her, she said. And then I think we private messaged to chat about something. And I, I feel like a strong connection mm-hmm. to her and like yeah. a friendship. But I do not know her. Yeah, that's yeah. that's super amazing. Because when she connected us, I thought like y'all were like friends and you like went to coffee <laughs> nope. every Sunday and stuff. Um, and, and I think I the guy that I know her through, I was talking to him and I was, I'm, and because, you know, he was asking how the podcast is going. And I said, I'm like, oh, I'm like, it's going, you know, really well. And I'm starting to to, uh, you know, m- have friends refer me to people who I haven't met. And I'm, I'm like, I said, um, I'm like, yeah, J- Jill connected me to this woman, Jen. And I'm like, and it's crazy because like Jill's never actually like met her in person, but like they've right. got this thing. Um, yeah. And my relationship to Jill is kind of funny where, um, yeah, this guy, John, yeah, like I said, he lives in Westchester. And so I, like we always went to his parents' house like in the summer because they had a pool and his parents are like very friendly. And then, um, like if I couldn't go visit my parents for Thanksgiving or Christmas, like I would go spend time like with, you know, his parents or whatever. So like Jill would always kind of like show up for stuff, like especially when we were all in college, like these summer pool parties and stuff. So at some point it went from like, oh, yeah, like that's that girl Jill that John knows to one day like she she and I were actually having like real adult conversations. I don't really remember when that switch happened, right. but it was sort of like, oh, yeah, like we actually talk about things of substance and and stuff. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually going to see her a week from today. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. funny. Yeah, my friend's parents do a holiday party like the Saturday before Christmas every year and Jill is always there with her husband and her two kids. So it's like I know if no matter what, I will always see her right. see her then. Yeah, so I yeah, I will I'll Shout see her on Saturday. Jill. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to you, the great Jill Green Roxbury. Um so let's go into your origin story a bit you know and then we can talk about um yeah the the various art that you are creating so i think when we talked before you said you're from houston is that correct or am i completely making that up? no 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 i was born in new york but grew up in houston okay where in new york were you born brooklyn okay Mm -hmm. all right all right i lived there till i was about five okay but so do it all my growing up in houston gotcha so i mean so you have like memories of i do of brooklyn i do where where in brooklyn were you oh are you familiar with like flatbush avenue mm-hmm. yeah sort of 56th street got yeah I, I know neighborhoods so so my wife naomi lived in crown heights for a little bit i got some friends in bed i got some cousins in bed okay. um yeah, do you know how close to uh, Junior's uh, cheesesteaks uh, you lived? I kind of, I that's my Your Flatbush <laughs> Avenue, like sort of, I base everything off of Junior's. Right, it's probably about 20 to 25 minutes from Junior's. Okay, yeah. all right, all right, very when cool. When Junior's was good. Okay, now it's ooh, just... <laughs> shots fired. 
I just want to say to the people at Juniors, I've never eaten at your establishment, so I cannot verify. Is, I, is it like it's just the quality's gone well, down? Like or? The slices of cheesecake used to be big, mm, mm-hmm. and now the slices don't match the cost. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of New York with everything. It's like, the, you know, there, there's enough rich people there to sustain it. And there's enough like Absolutely. hipsters who will sort of like do their day trip, you know, into like that part of Brooklyn. And, you know. Yes. So it's, yeah. The, I'm, and yeah. they all want to go because, mm-hmm. you know, that's like that landmark. Mm-hmm. I don't go to juniors. But now when I was growing up and we would go. Gotcha. It was, yeah, so much better. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I first heard about juniors in a book. Oh yeah, yeah, and I was, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then, um, yeah, I've but uh, yeah, I've I've never eaten, but eaten there. But yeah, it's funny because the people that I know that live in Brooklyn now, I'm like, oh, dude, do you go to Juniors? And they're like, mm, it's all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it used to be like, oh yeah, I went to Juniors, yeah. but not anymore. Yeah, not not so much. I'll go to Cheesecake Factory yeah. first. Man, that's a that's a bold <laughs> it's a bold statement. Yeah. Uh, there is a really good cheesecake cheesecake place i can't remember what it's called but um one of my cousins lives in hartford connecticut and man the cheesecakes there uh it's so good good. it's so good so good um so uh why did your family end up moving to houston oh let's see my mom was going through a divorce okay and really just needed to get out of brooklyn Mm -hmm. and we didn't have any family or friends there yeah she just picked the farthest place away gotcha yeah. gotcha so yeah we ended up going to houston yeah yeah make, makes sense sometimes yeah um yeah naomi's family moved from new york when she was maybe 12 and they went to grand rapids michigan oh wow. um yeah because it and cause i think her, her mom had a sister that was there so like they yeah they wanted they really wanted to get out of new york yeah i mean they were at 135th and Originally, they were at 135th and Broadway in Harlem. Yeah. You know, and I, she, when we, she still has family there. So, like, we, we spent a lot of time in Harlem and, like, you know, I saw the, like, project that she grew up in. And I mean, it's one of those, like, 7,000 people living there. You're just surrounded by concrete. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and in the 80s when, you know, New York was, like, drug central, like, oh, it's yeah. like, oh, God. I wouldn't want to raise right, children. Right. Like your humanity is choked. Yes. Living there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so like what, what was life like in Houston? I've kind yeah, I've no, I've never been to Houston. I've been to Dallas and I've been to Austin. I know very little yeah. about Houston. I left Houston when I was uh, 15 to okay. move here to Pennsylvania. But so prior to that, um, I loved it there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was where my neighborhood was predominantly black. Yeah. Um, across from our street was a horse farm. Yeah. So you yeah. go right across the street with your apples, mm. feed mm-hmm. the horses. Mm-hmm. Um, everything was within walking distance. I yeah. think it's changed a lot now. Sure. I haven't been back um, maybe once, but it didn't even rem- remotely look like what right. I grew up with. Right. Um, I just remember playing in a cul-de-sac kickball till the street light came on and like just life was just it was just great there Mm -hmm. um as i got older i did realize a lot of stuff going on around me i had a lot of friends that were if not already had a child were pregnant i was 13 years old yeah you know living there 13 14 years old and um my idea of what houston was was very different from what houston was Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and that that is something that I always find super interesting um because yeah, I you know I think we might have talked this a little bit when we talked on the phone. So yeah, like I've said, you know, numerous times on this podcast, uh initially I lived in Southern California till I was 14 um as in a suburb of Los Angeles and I really grew up in a Huxtable-esque home in terms of like just like the culture and the vibe not necessarily the money I mean we weren't poor but like you know I mean we weren't like super wealthy right um and you know I mean the yeah I mean we were just the like a typical or stereotypical suburban black family like very culturally aware like there was no like oh yeah you know you have to like put on a face to make money it was like no like you know I we got black history like you know full on from my parents right. and yeah just a very loving environment we live very close to my grandparents um but i went to private school mostly because like even the the public schools in our suburb were just like really not not good and and i even remember a story you know and i'm i'm not sure how much of this is like my perception because you know your memories from when you're a little kid are always a hazy right but there was the public school like in the town over that was known where like that's where all the black families end up like sending their kids and it did not have a good reputation amongst the parents i mean like it wasn't like white people being like that place is ghetto but it was like black parents being like no we're not we've worked too hard to send our kids there and a lot of it was just the culture of what was expected of the students right but i remember um someone from that school came to my school and like sort of did an assembly and was like talking about all the stuff and they were like talking about how great the basketball team was and like they weren't really talking about the academics and so I was so I told my mom I'm like oh yeah you know someone from blah 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 school came over and they were talking about how great it was and and my mom was like yeah so like what did they say I'm like they talked about how great the basketball team was oh. and my mom was like nope nope <laughs> and I mean they were already pretty sure I wasn't gonna go there right but but the you know the point that you know I'm trying to make is that there were a lot more challenges in our community than I realized because it's like because that type of stuff didn't live within my home and it didn't live within the homes of people that I knew right but like like there was a drug house like on our block and there was some dude who was like on drugs who would literally just walk up and down the block like 12 hours a day because he was just like on whatever Whoa. and I remember my mom said like oh that guy's on drugs and I it kind of didn't register right. I'm like huh like that how is that possible? Yeah, so it's just, it's always interesting looking back and being like, oh no, like our family might have had this thing, but in the broader community, not so much. Exactly. Yep, that's exactly yeah. what I mean. Yeah. And so, was this part of Houston as far as you can remember? I mean, was it like working class, middle class? Was it a mixture? Was it like just super poor? But like you just there was so much love in your house, you didn't really know that you you know it was a poorer community. I think it was middle class. Mm -hmm. um, but again, like, I'm not good like you with geography, but just walking to the 7-Eleven, you would go past the, I think they called them like duplexes. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, and that's where the kids like, you know, I remember one time in school, um, my mom had always questioned like our school lunches because yeah. they were just like super carby, mm -hmm. not a whole lot of anything mm -hmm. else, but a lot of carbs. Yeah. And because she questioned it, it made me question it and talking to the assistant principal. And I asked why, why do we have pizza, corn and French fries? Right. Like, yeah. Why is there nothing mm -hmm. else? 
And she said, we have it on a Friday because some kids won't get eat again until Monday. Mm, yeah. So wanted something to sustain them Yeah. and send home like, you know, little package with granola bars and stuff like that. And that's when it like really started to hit me. I might've been like in second or yeah, third grade yeah. and, and seeing that, wow, like, you know, where, what I'm viewing as my world. And I think that we are super rich, mm-hmm. right? Because we had cable and we had mm-hmm. a VCR mm-hmm. and a microwave, mm-hmm. um, that just down the street, there's someone who's not going to eat. Yeah. So I, yeah. there was a mix of everything. Mm-hmm. I remember being in my school of kids that, you know, th- there was a teacher I remember and she had a bag full of clothes and kids mm-hmm. would come in with mm-hmm. stained clothes or clothes that hadn't been washed. And before the day started to go to the washroom, clean up a little bit. And here's some clothes yeah. to wear. Um, it wasn't my reality as right, far yeah. as like my home, yeah. but it definitely was in my environment. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And what, what did your mom do for work? My mom was a nurse. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my dad was, um, was, is, um, I think he was an engineer. I always just knew he wore <laughs> his uniform. He had a hard hat. He mm-hmm. had, remember that big industrial yeah. looking uh, lunchbox? Yeah. Yeah, and he went out and did work like yeah. that. And so, so you you all moved to Houston when your mom and dad divorced. Is that correct? Well, not. I think my parents divorced. Uh, my biological dad and my mom. I was two. Okay. Um, and my mom stayed till I was five. Okay. Um, and then she met someone. Okay. And we all moved together. Gotcha. Okay. So your your mom remarried. Correct. And then and then you grew up with a stepfather who I mean I imagine maybe it wasn't even in your mind like stepfather it was just like this is dad or new dad yep yep very much so because he was really good to us Mm -hmm. and he took us on and you know embraced us like we were his own yeah and um I remember he wanted to adopt us okay because I have an older brother and I was like yes yes and my brother was like no and my mom wouldn't do it unless we both wanted gotcha, it. Gotcha, gotcha. And I remember feeling so like almost disrespecting him, my, mm-hmm. my stepfather. Yeah, yeah. Um, because he was so good to us. Yeah. But I, but I respected my brother as well. Sure. And his feelings, and um, I tried wanting to call him dad. Right. Um, but my idea of what a dad was, was so tainted mm-hmm. that I felt like it was almost an insult. Sure. Sure. So I tried to explain that to him the yeah. best I could, told him I couldn't be his daughter, you know, through adoption, but that he would always be my dad. Yeah. So I refer to him as Ed, but with such endearment, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I just could never call him dad because it, it was just not a good, um, word. Yeah. For yeah. me, yeah, absolutely. To use on him, yeah. That that's interesting. Yeah, it, yeah. It's something that yeah I've never thought about. Where like, yeah, like these these titles that you know society like accepts as a given. Yeah, it's like it. Yeah, if if your association of that word is with this like, you know, multitude of unpleasant experiences, it's like ah, it's like yeah, yeah. yeah no, <laughs> it was like cursing at him if I called him dad. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, no, no, that's understandable. Yep. It's understandable. Um, and so, and you said you have you have one brother. I do. Okay, an older brother, three years. Okay, and yep. wh- where where is he now? Oh, he's okay. So we have a family business. Okay. Um, we do insurance consulting. Awesome. My mom is the owner of the business, nurse case manager. Yeah. My father is our chief financial officer. Okay. My brother does bill review. 
and then I assist the nurses, including my mom, that we have on staff. Oh, that's cool. So we all work together. So, like, does that ever get crazy? You know, where where it's like, uh, you're 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 I don't know you're talking about the caseload for the week, and and then your brother is like, oh yeah, but you said you were gonna like, <laughs> you know take my car to the shop when I had to go to Seattle for the conference and you didn't. So I'm like, Oh yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I would be a, fr- well, I mean one, um, everyone in my family has always done work. That's like way smarter than what I do. So it's like, well, I couldn't work with you cause I don't know how to do any of that stuff. Right. But like, I'm, I like to keep like all of my stuff separately. Like I don't even like to, when I have friends who are like, Oh, like there's a, there's an opening at the company that I work at. It's like, I, I don't want to work with you right. because like, I, I don't want like a business thing to like spill over into like friendship stuff. And I feel like at least for me, there's enough about my friends where it's like, yeah, that part of you I don't necessarily like. Or I've had friends who will like tell me about like, dude, man, like my boss like totally was upset with me because like, you know, this thing that I did. And so I'm like, you know, explain it to me. And they they explain it. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, I, I would have done the same thing if I was your boss. It's like, I can't say that because I'm your friend. <laughs> your so I'm friend. like, no, that, that's the worst. <laughs> F that dude. Like, I can't believe he did that. But it's right. like, no, like I... I know that about you. So I, I wouldn't want like business to make my uh, family or friendships weird. So right, right. like, I mean, how do you, how are you able to like make it all work and you're not like, you know. Because we, I guess we all grew up, right? But when I was 18, I worked for my mom. So I've been working with her since then. Um, we all lived together. Okay. My brother was like my next door neighbor in the house basically. And that was horrible because there was like no escaping. Yeah. We worked in the basement. Wow. So yeah. Get up in the morning, mm-hmm. jump in the shower, go downstairs right, with yeah. each other, have dinner together. Yeah. Like it was rough. Yeah. Yeah. And then my brother moved out and then I moved out and it actually like strengthened mm-hmm. all our relationships. And I think it's helpful that we work together, but then we go separately for homes. Okay. You yeah. know what I mean? Like we don't live together. So there's that, there's that escape where we're not together. Um, but honestly, like my brother's like one of my best friends. I text him, even though we work together and see him every day, I still text him every day and we talk outside of yeah, work. Yeah. My mom and I, I leave the office and immediately get on the phone with her and we chat about things. Cause when we're in the office, we're kind of talking office. Absolutely. Stuff. Absolutely. So to catch up on life things, we do that. Um, I love it. I know it sounds crazy. And there are moments where sure. I sit and go, I cannot believe I'm here and what am I doing? And But it, we're all so tight. We vacation together. Hey, that's cool. You know? Yeah, <laughs> It works. It does work. Yeah. My, my philosophy is it's like yeah, whatever works for you, like works. So it's just like, yeah, you know, different people have have different experiences. So I'm yep. just like, yeah, it's yeah. I'm yeah. I, I just I yeah, I. I just don't know if I, I don't think it's in my makeup. I don't know if I could work with, yeah, like anyone that like I really know, like, you know, for, you know, that well. Because also like when I'm, one of the things that I like about jobs is like when new people come in and it's like you get to like learn about like new people. Right. So so it's like, it's like oh yeah, like that's part of the reason why like I want to work someplace. It's like, oh, well, you know, like we're going to build a, you know, a relationship together over a couple of years and not like, oh, I've known you since I was seven. But exactly. yeah, I'm a super particular guy. All right, so, um, so you said you move, you end up moving from Houston to 
Pennsylvania when you were 15? Yes. And so w- what was the uh, the motivation for that move? Again, my mom's job. Okay. Yep. My mom brought us from, we were in Houston. Um, I was, might have been 14, I think. Her job took us to San Antonio. Okay. We stayed there for a year. And then the same job was like, we need you to work at our Pennsylvania office. And my mom moved here first um, and stayed and kind of opened up and got a house and did everything so that when we came, we had a place to gotcha. be. Yeah. So she did all the yeah. the homework for us and the school districts and all that. And we kind of moved here. Um, I hated every second of being here. And I was convinced that we were going to go back. And if I could just make myself unhappy mm-hmm. and she could see how unhappy I was, that we go back. Right. Gotcha. And uh, yeah, no, that didn't work. Did not happen. No, no. She was like, you can be here and be unhappy or you can be here and be happy. Those are your choices. Yeah. Those are the two <laughs> options. Choose wisely. That's right. That's right. So my first year I was um sophomore in high school when I moved here and um, I didn't want to know anybody. Mm. People wanted to talk to me and I was like, no, cause I'm not staying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And then, here comes my junior year, and I'm like, wow, I guess we're staying. Yeah, yeah. And now it's time to make friends. So did did you all move to Chester County? or like We it- did. My mom was staying at, like, one of those, um, like, hotels that can be, like, a residence mm-hmm. in King yeah. of Prussia. Okay. And then we moved, and we lived in Exton. Gotcha. Chester okay. County. And then from there, Westchester. Okay, yep. okay. And then I stayed in Westchester. Uh, what what high school did you go to? Henderson. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. And you heard what, of that one? Yeah. So I think that's where Jill went. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yes. Yeah. And so uh the yeah so the guy that I know his name is John Charles. Okay. Um. And he grew. I mean, his parents are still there. So uh, his folks live right off of um, the uh, Boot Road exit off of two o two. Yep. Um. And there used to be like a, a an Amico station yep. down there, which his dad and his grandpa used to own that Amico station. Oh, okay. So, so they're on um Arling, Arlington Avenue. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, so yeah, he went to Henderson. So yeah, like that's the, like the one school that I know that's out in that area. Yeah, <laughs> that's where I went. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what what year did you graduate? Ninety one. Ninety one. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um. Uh. Yeah. I've, like I was trying to think. Uh. Yeah. You were you were before Bam Margera's time. Do you ever did you ever watch? Uh, what was he on? Um, Jackass. Jackass. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think when when I learned he was from Westchester, yeah, I asked John. I'm like, oh, did you know Bam? And I like, I think like he didn't know him because they were a couple years apart. But like, uh, he had a friend who played little league with Bam or something. Oh. And yeah. So he had like a couple of stories about like, oh yeah, I see him around town, and I think he had a story about like he. Bam was like 13 and he like pulled a prank on like an 18 year old and the 18 year old like punched him in the face or something. Oh, so, <laughs> yeah, no, that was, yeah, I had already moved on. Okay. Isn't, I think he's younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause yeah, I'm, I'm 40. So yeah, I, I graduated high school in 96 and I think okay. Bam graduated in like 94 or something. Yeah. So yeah, yeah he's, he's a couple years him. younger than you. Okay. No, but I would see him around Westchester. Sure. He's yeah. out the local bar. Yeah. Um, I remember going into the hospital. I trying to think, was I pregnant? I forget, but I was in the elevator with his uh, mom and stepdad. Awesome. Yep. <laughs> and they were, <laughs> they were there visiting him because he did one of his yeah. jackass things. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Broke yeah, his yeah. leg or something. Exactly. Yeah. And I've seen him around town. Mm-hmm. There's a, a tea shop that I like to go to, and he, 
I've seen him there a couple times. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, when people, at least when Jackass was like actually on TV and popular, yeah. were people like, oh, wow, like that's our locals, you know, celebrity oh. or were people like, uh, this is the guy that's famous. Like the guy who like, you know, gets crap dumped on his head. And no, stuff? he was a big deal. Wow. Yeah. Okay. People would get excited to see him. And yeah, they, they thought he was great. Now, yeah. I mean, I, I thought the whole show was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I did watch it. But yeah, I yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I watched it too. But I thought it was ridiculous. And um, he, but he was a local celebrity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People really hung on his uh, words and yeah. liked uh, him. And then he, I think he opened a um, like a night spot okay. called a note. I okay. believe that's well. Hopefully, I said that right. Um, and I and then again, like that was kind of his big claim to fame mm-hmm. to to Westchester. Okay. Yeah. All right. So when when you moved to Pennsylvania, what was it that had you not liking it? Why why were you so unhappy when you got here? Oh, so different. It was so different. Um, the everything about it was different, and kids were just. I don't know. I always felt like in Texas, it's just the warmer climate brings about warmer people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I've always said like, oh, this area can get kind of cold temperature wise. Right, and yeah. you got a lot of cold people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I always felt loved and supported just by the person at the grocery store. Yeah. You know, like everybody was kind. And I just saw a totally different side coming here. Yeah. I did not like it at all. Um, you know, people would ask me about racism because of Texas mm-hmm. and some of the, uh, but I never felt that way or faced that. Yeah. I faced more of that here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I had a little bit of an accent when I came here and kids would, oh, say this word. Mm-hmm. Say oh, that yeah. Word. Like, yeah. Like I'm some kind of freak asking yeah. me if I rode my horse here, mm-hmm. and, you know, ridiculous mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, I didn't I didn't like being here. I didn't like um I don't even know what it, well part of it was I missed my friends. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um I really didn't give it a fair shake. Yeah. It already was kinda like, no, yeah. I don't wanna do this. Um, but then when the you know, it wasn't you weren't embraced. Right. It made it that much easier not to want to be absolutely. here. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, um when when we moved from California to Northern Virginia, it was a similar situation for me in terms of age. Like we moved my in between the summer in between freshman and sophomore year of high school. So it's like such a tricky time anyways. I didn't want to leave all the friends that I had and the like, and the familiarity of where we lived in Southern California, like uh, our town, which was a suburb, it had a little downtown so I could walk everywhere. Like there was a corner store, um, you know, like I could I could walk even across town, which might take me like an hour. But like I would walk past like little shops and right. through these, you know, residential communities. When we were in northern Virginia, it's all just like super spread out and it's and it's freeways everywhere. It's like you, you need a car to get around everywhere. It's like and I didn't I wasn't even old enough to have a car. And so like I'm in this new town. It's my first time in public school. I'm used to going to these very small private schools. The high school I went to in Los Angeles, the freshman class was 25 people. Oh, whoa. 25 people. Yeah. So then I go, I'm starting sophomore year 
in a high school of 2000. So it's like the sophomore class is 500 people. They've all grown up together. Right. And, you know, and it's, and everyone's like super cool. It's like, you know, jocks and cheerleaders. And I'm like this little nerdy kid who likes Star Trek and stuff. Right. Yeah. I had, I was so angry and like, yeah, I really thought that if I just like, thought about it hard enough I would be transported back to California or yep. you know or my dad would be like I'm sorry we're moving back <laughs> that's what I thought tomorrow <laughs> yeah even though we moved because my dad couldn't find any work in California right, it's like, mm-hmm. right. yeah you yep, know looking back story. on it yeah it's you know there are worse things that can happen absolutely you know absolutely yeah it's not that bad of like oh you know we you know we moved so that the family could still have an income and live you know in a house right like these right. are good things those not, are good things yeah yeah yeah, yeah not yeah. like we're moving because everyone hates us and like or right. you know we're i don't know we're in the witness protection program or something <laughs> um so you you've you've made a couple of interesting points which <clears throat> excuse me i always like to hear people talk about you know you're talking about this perception of the the south and texas and like you know people uh, assuming that like it's just clansmen chasing you around and like burning crosses everywhere and it's like yeah i mean is there elements of that in the south yeah and are there elements of that in pennsylvania yeah are there elements of that in vermont yeah and uh you know something that i always tell people i'm like well first off statistically there's more black folk in the south than any other part of the country right so you're more likely just to be around more black people if you're in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina. Right. And also, since we've been there for generations, it's like, you know, there's cultural institutions. There's, in many cases, like financial institutions, educational institutions. And like we like we have a, a history there. And, um, you know, Atlanta, uh, Memphis, Nashville, Dallas, Charlotte. Raleigh. These are places with su- some substantial black middle classes right, right. connected to a lot of HBCUs beyond just Howard and Morehouse and Spellman, like the big ones, you know, Johnson C. Smith and, you know, uh, North Carolina Central. So I always tell people anytime I go to visit my parents in Charlotte, I have never had a racially problematic incident right. ever, right? ever. I've had tons in Philly. I've had tons in New York City. I've had tons even in Washington, D.C. So I'm good. Like, I love the South, right, honestly. Right. I was with my um, husband's uh, mom, and she is from Elgin, South Carolina. Okay. And we had driven there to go to a funeral, and I want to say it's on our way back. We stopped somewhere at a rest stop. It was like mind blowing to me because I I haven't seen this so blatant, but we stopped at this rest stop and there was a young um, black kid in there and he was getting his Starbucks and there was a woman behind him and she kept saying, you look like that guy. And he was like, "Uh, Vin Diesel. Right, yeah. (laughs) Obviously like, no, he didn't look like Vin Diesel, but he said it and she's like, no, no, no. You know that guy, he has a, talk show and she was white so that's important to Mm -hmm. the story um he has a talk show and she's giving him all these clues and you can see him rolling his eyes and almost like i know who she wants me to say but i'm not i'm not gonna say it yeah and 
she finally got frustrated and she said, you know, you all N words, but she used the word Mm -hmm. look alike. So, you know who I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like hitting my husband like, oh, my God, this was just like, I don't know, maybe eight months ago. Yeah. A year ago. I mean, we're not talking like years ago. Yeah. Yeah. We're not talking 1964. And everybody in the Starbucks was like, this is normal Mm -hmm. including the young kid who was like yeah no sorry don't know who you're talking Mm -hmm. about and i'm Mm -hmm. seething like are you kidding me yeah um and it was just so blatant i think what happens up here pennsylvania and you know up north is people tend to hide it absolutely they they know that this is not an okay thing to Mm -hmm. say and he might have said like no you know steve harvey and we could have ended it right um, but she was like, you know, you all, mm-hmm. you know, and I was just like, whoa. And, and that was like, like I said, in Elgin, yeah. North Carolina. Yeah. Yep. And I wouldn't be surprised if she honestly like, doesn't even mean that in an, like offensively, like she didn't look like she did. No, yeah, yeah. it was, it was just kind of like, mm-hmm. like conversation. Yeah. 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 The, 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 these, these are the words that we use to describe people like, like you yeah. that's right yeah because i mean i i've had um so i have a friend now who lives outside of richmond he's white um and he's been there for like 15 years so i used to go and visit him when he first moved down to richmond and i was you know down there in like downtown richmond and i went to like a diner and yeah you know i mean richmond is a predominantly black city and downtown richmond is mostly black you know and there's uh, some white folks around and i remember like just sitting in a diner and there was a guy a white guy with sweatpants and it was like a bunch of like little tiny confederate flags like so it was like all these confederate flags on his sweatpants like it was just like thousands of confederate flags and and he was just like talking to another like he was talking to a black dude and like like it was nothing and because because that was when i was like huh Right. <laughs> and and then I realized it's like, yeah, it's like you you have the like straight up just like super racist people who will let you know how they feel, which I honestly prefer because it's like, well, I know not to mess with you. So like I'm I'm glad that you have um, you are honest with who you are yep. Yep. because I know not to trust you and I know to stay away from you. So you've done you've done me a huge favor. Absolutely. I appreciate that. So you have like those people. You have the people who are, you know, they're. They're fairly prejudiced, but they've also grown up around black people so much that like they're they're still comfortable around black people. Like like they're not going to like run to the other side of the street if they see you. Right. But like they're not going to like you can't date their sister, but they'll they'll hang out with you and like do job <laughs> referrals to yes. you know for you. And, and they'll they'll be like, yo, I know this darky. He's like the smartest dude in the world. And it's like, yeah, that's super insulting and condescending. Um, But like you you it's so common for you that you actually don't think that there's anything problematic right, about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, all of my like experience, he, he gave you a compliment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's been, yeah, it's been super interesting. Yeah. All that time in the South again, as opposed to, yeah, being in like tons of places where like people are in Philly and they're like, I love Barack Obama. And then it's just like, okay, yeah, sure. Like you voted for him. And I've seen you get nervous around like, black children like right absolutely so absolutely yeah it is what it is um so uh so when you when you got to pennsylvania how much of it was 
how much of like the racial component was uncomfortable, even if it was just a thing of like, oh yeah, you know, I'm, so I would assume that you were around a lot of white people in Exton. A lot of people. Yes. A lot um, of white people. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, I mean, was it even a thing of just like, oh, I've kind of never been around like this many white people, like for this sustained period of time ever. Was that a part of it? No, because even in my area where it was predominantly black in Houston, um, color or or you know a, like um clicks mm-hmm. they weren't a thing for me so if there was an indian person in the room yeah. they were my friend if there's a white person in the room they were my friend if there's a black person in the room like there was none of that separation gotcha right yeah um here there's a lot of separation yeah. um here meaning pennsylvania um You'd have your clicks, but because I came from a place that wasn't clicky, I kind of got along with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one friend, like it was like our senior year, that was like, "How do you do that? Yeah, how are you friends with the art club and the jock and the band kids?" Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, "Well, did you really need to separate them?" Right. But here, there's a lot of separation. Um, so coming into an area that was predominantly white wasn't really shocking to my system my mom's very well-rounded um culturally we're not black my mom's from panama my birth father was from the west indies and my stepfather is from panama as well okay um so so culturally i didn't fit in anywhere gotcha right um i'd go with my black friends and they'd be like whoa what is that you're eating and i'd go with my white friends and they'd be like whoa what is Mm -hmm, that you know mm -hmm. what i mean um i thought it was like so cool to go somebody's house and have like meatloaf and mashed potatoes gotcha that was not my that was not our thing yeah so i was kind of able to get along with and and blend with any group you know it wasn't a shock to my system the things that were shocking to my system is like you said like when someone didn't like you you knew and you knew to just stay away. Yeah. There was a lot of undercover, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like you think you're in a safe space yeah. and then you find out you're not. Yeah. Um, some of my worst um, experiences with racism happened in my high school years here in Pennsylvania. Um, I don't know if you want to go through them, but oh, no. yeah, I mean, you you can share <laughs> honestly uh, whatever you feel comfortable with. Yeah. I mean, um, the. Everyone that I've, or most people that I've interviewed have had like, yeah, very, yeah, very just real intense experiences of, you know, just like, you know, someone who's my best friend or like a boyfriend, you know, who's, yeah, like, you know, you're pretty for a black girl or like, you know, you're not like other niggers. There's black people, there's niggers. Yeah. I've gone through all of it. Yeah. I, you can share whatever you feel comfortable with. Yeah. I had met this girl and she was really cool and we were really good friends and I thought everything was great. And as our friendship built, I would spend more time at her house. And it was always her dad and I believe she had a sister. Um, And they'd let me come in all the time and I'd never met her mother. And we're going on years of a friendship, Mm -hmm. right? So one day I'm at the house and it's the dad and me and the sister. And I don't remember what we're doing, but like, let's say something just like benign, like making cookies. And the mom comes in and she's like, surprise, I came home early. And the dad's like, oh. And she goes, oh, who's this? And oh, this is Jennifer, because her daughter had been talking about Mm -hmm. me. 
And the dad's like, okay, well, let's get Jen home. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So we get out the house and still like clueless. Just yeah. like, nice to yeah. meet you. And I, I figure it's time to go home. Mm-hmm. Cookies are done or whatever we were doing. And that night I get a phone call that my friend can no longer be my friend. Whoa, and her mother said yeah. she's no longer to talk to me. Yeah. And I was like, wow, okay. So she's just putting up appearances because she's got to make this call in front of her mom. Mm-hmm. But when we get to school, we'll be yeah, cool we're, we're going to be good. Because we're her mom's be not there, yeah, right? Yeah. And nope, she stayed away. Yeah. And that was it, you know? And I had one time I was at a friend's house and we had gone out to dinner and we come back and the dad's always welcome me. He's Jen's my friend. We chat. And we went to Cracker Barrel. I mean, I was like a teenager. Yeah. And he says, oh, how was dinner? And my friend's like, oh, yeah, it was good. And he's like, let me guess. Jen had the chicken fried steak and a slice of watermelon. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what? What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and for him, it was just like a joke. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? But that kind of ended it for me there. Yeah. And I have so many of those yes. things that yep. are just kind of these slight, you know, everybody's now talking about how horrible racism is. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, wait, you didn't know this? Yeah. yeah. It, it's not so shocking to right. me. Um, I don't really like to talk about Trump and mm-hmm. what he does. And I kind of stay away from those conversations. Mm-hmm. As do I. And my friends that are shocked by it, my white friends mm-hmm. that are shocked by it, I just realize how sheltered yeah. they've been. Yeah. Because I'm, the things I'm telling you about happened in 1990 and 1991, mm-hmm. you know? So, I, you know, I, I, I got along and I realized who was a friend and who wasn't mm-hmm. a friend. Mm-hmm. And certain friends that you could only be friends in this, mm-hmm. you know, maybe mm-hmm. at school, but not at home. Yep. And I just played ball. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, it's super interesting because, yeah, almost every person that I've interviewed for this, especially people that have grown up in like, you know, these very mixed suburbs, like, you know, they all they all have some variation of that where um, uh Someone I interviewed maybe a month ago, a yeah, young lady, Sonia, who grew up in Maryland. So, like, not that far from, like, where I grew up in Northern Virginia. Um, yeah, she's half Japanese, half black. Um, yeah, and she learned that she got put – there was, like, someone in the high school made a list of, like, um, uh, like hot for black girls. So it was, like – and she was at the top of it, like, oh, she's hot. She's hot for a black girl. You can't, you can't be physically attractive. You're hot for a black girl. And – and even one of her friends, I think, who was black or like, you know, may, you know, maybe biracial, but, you know, had some black, had some African ancestry was was like, no, like, it's a compliment. Like, they think you're hot for a black girl. And she's like, nah, like, that's no. not a. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we've all it's it's like uh, kind of uh, not even crazy, like just like how like deeply rooted it is. But it's just like, yeah, like, yeah, we I could give like 30 examples of just like tons of stuff of like what was super crazy for me was there was I was similar um, in that like, you know, I was just I was such a kind of like naive kid. And my parents who honestly, my parents didn't really have any substantial white friends until they were in their 50s, like until we moved to northern Virginia 
and the town we were in had a black population of like nine percent maybe and the church that we went to it was like there was one other black family and there was a woman from somewhere in the caribbean um like my parents didn't really have any white friends growing up mainly because you know they grew up in the 40s right they lived in segregation and you know we our community in California, like we were on the black side of town. So, you know, and, and we were good. Okay. But I mean, but my parents were very much like treat people as equals, assume people are good until they have a they give you a reason to think otherwise. Right. Most of my friends growing up were white. Um, so when I the high school I went to in Virginia, I, I, you know, I just would I'd make friends with anyone. So there was a guy who. I like later learned was like the most notorious racist in the entire school. Like they were always like, oh, this dude is super, super racist. And I remember like he was in a class. So I would just talk to him and he would talk back to me. And, you know, I guess he liked me because we liked the same stuff. And then, you know, people later were like, oh, that dude's like a racist. I was like, really? Like he's super nice to me. Um, But one day we were walking down the hallway and I had a like a big winter coat on and I had my hood up over my head and and he like pulled it down he goes he goes don't wear your hood like that I'm like what do you mean he goes he goes he's like don't wear it like a nigger and and it kind of didn't even set it didn't sink in because I was like why'd he say nigger because I'm like he talks to me all the time I was I was more confused than anything (laughs) I wasn't even really upset um and then maybe like five minutes later, because he was giving me a ride home, okay. and a, a a car, like you know, some students were leaving school, and so like there were like two black kids in a car, and they were you know listening to music kind of loudly and like being loud and boisterous, because like you know you're 16, like that's what high schoolers do. Right. And he's like, he's like, see, like those guys are niggers, and and he was explaining, he was really doing the like you're different, but I was just so naive, I. I wasn't even offended then. Right. And then um, we ran into this other kid who, like, everyone in the school knew was a super racist. Like, everyone was like, this guy is the biggest racist this school has ever had. And, um, you know, he he was like, oh, I got to give Mike a ride home. And the guy was like, okay. And I, I was thinking, I'm like, I'm like, why is he friends with that guy? That guy's, like, super racist. (laughs) And then later, um, this guy, the guy who I was friends with, his sister was in a class with me and we were talking about something and she she goes she goes yeah it's really weird that my brother likes you cuz he doesn't really like black people oh jeez yeah and and she was saying it just like oh, like life is interesting yeah, yeah. and like but i was just i was so naive to the world that it wasn't really until like i was in college and one day i was like oh i get it yeah it's just you weren't like them yeah 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 and then when you had your hood on, it was like, whoa, wait, mm-hmm. no, I have to make him back the way that yeah, yeah. I'm comfortable. Absolutely. Yeah, I got a lot of that, too. Or you're not like them. And mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, this is just my opinion, but I think that a lot of white folks, especially folks who consider themselves liber- liberals and progressives and open-minded, I think what... what uh, is really alarming to them about the Trump presidency is that like one, he's saying really problematic things about white women. So like that's resonating with them. Mm -hmm. You know, when people say, when people trash black women, you know, Latinx women, Asian women, it doesn't, it, they don't care as much. Right. Right. Like, which it's like, I get because everyone looks out for their own, but just be honest about it. Right. Be honest about it. Right. You know, because my wife is very, 
overt in calling out white feminism, especially when it's done under the guise of feminism. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we're looking out for women. You know, these are issues that are important to women. It's like, it's important to your segment of white women. Correct. Which again is fine, but don't say it's all women because it's not. It's not, right. And right. there are a lot of racial dynamics even in feminism, and and there's a lot of problematic stuff that white women do to a whole myriad of people. So, like, you need to own up to that, just in the same way that even when racism that black men experience does not give them license to engage in misogyny and chauvinism. Correct. You know? And this is something that, like, all of us, even myself, like, I've had to look into and be like, okay, what are the things that I'm doing that's pushing these things forward? Even when I'm not aware of them, because 99% of the time I'm not aware of them. Like, I think I'm a good dude. Being a good dude isn't enough. Um, But so I think that's one thing. I think another thing is that I think Trump reminds them a lot of like their uncles and their aunts and their brothers who like they start off making these sort of casual racist jokes. Nah, nah, he doesn't. He's he's just a cranky old guy. And then like it slowly starts to ratchet up. And so I think they're starting to like see parts of their family members and see that it's like this isn't a uh, stereotypical gap tooth yokel from kentucky or mississippi like this is a dude from new york city mm-hmm. who's worked in corporate finance and wears a suit and tie and has businesses right and is a part of the pop culture zeitgeist absolutely, absolutely. so it's it it's unnerving to you because it it's closer and it can't be ignored right, right. and a lot of your family probably voted for him and now you're starting and you're wondering, is it a reflection on you? Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things I was telling a friend of mine who is white is that if you haven't grown up with diversity in your life, right? So everybody that you've known, everybody you are in contact with is white. And your mother has these views and your mother has told you these things. There's nothing to... Um, to I'm losing track of my word here but like to gauge it against mm-hmm, right absolutely it's just, it is just what you know it's what you know so then you come out into a world and you introduce diversity you're basically saying that everything your mother taught you wasn't correct mm-hmm. you you have to look at your mother in a different way absolutely so instead of having to look at your mother in a different way you just say no 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 that's absolutely. not how it is absolutely and I think that happens a lot mm-hmm. Um, that people aren't recognizing is that it, it was never okay, mm-hmm. but you just were never, never in a situation or around people to see that Absolutely. there was another way. And so Absolutely. you hold on to what your family member told you mm-hmm. and you trust your family, right? Absolutely. You love your family. Absolutely. They're not going to steer you wrong. Absolutely. So we must be wrong. Right. Right. Yeah. I've, I've gone through that with, with a good, with a good friend who, um, w- I saw him a couple of years ago and he was telling me how his mother had said something to the effect of like, I don't know understand what all the big deal is about these Confederate statues. These were good men fighting for a certain way of life. And my, and when he had said that to me, like at that point I was like, no, like that, that seems like something she would say. I mean, and this is a woman who like, treated me like a son, mm-hmm. was a very loving woman, and actually they lived in a neighborhood which I assume started off as like all white and then like immediately, or not immediately, but uh, over time 
they became like literally the only white family okay. and their neighbor and like they didn't leave and they and they weren't like our neighbors are tearing down the uh, you know the the community like so she's not this one dimensional racist um you know she i'm assuming she thought that trump was a pretty horrible dude because like when the travel ban went down she actually like you know went to a mosque and like held up a sign that said like you're americans you're welcome here so so she you know has fairly you know racially open-minded views except for stuff around the south and confederacy because that's what she grew up in right. and it's like well my parents who were who i love taught me these things and it's very hard for people to be like i love this person and they've part of who i am is because of them and they have these problematic views it's like it's very like all or nothing and this yeah. same this same and i could see him trying to like figure out how does he live with that Right. In his mind, like right. I see him grappling with it, and then the same friend was telling me about how um he had another relative that was visiting him for like one of the holidays. It might have been like last year, and was just like saying some like really racist stuff, like really wretched. And he was he was trying to figure out like why he was so bothered by it. Like my friend was trying to figure out why what his uncle said was so bothersome to him, and right. like a year later. And and I asked them. I said, "I'm like, w like, why do you think it is?" I pretty much knew the answer, but like, I wanted him to like work through it himself. And he realized that it was like it's it's harder for him to dismiss. This is an actual fle flesh and blood member of his family right. in his house that he has to have some relationship with, and you know, it's like people who he loves were kind of raised by like the same people. So it's like, so if this dude is problematic, who else in it? Like then right. the dominoes start to fall. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I see happen a lot with uh, some of my friends um, is trying to reconcile like two years ago, three, well, what year are we in? Yeah. 2019. Yeah. All right. Let's just say yeah. in the Obama era. Yeah. Um, we sat down for Christmas and like basically the worst thing was like, is uncle Charlie going to get drunk mm -hmm. and say something that he probably shouldn't yeah. say. Right. But now it's like, you can't even have a conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, let's get together. Let's not talk politics. Yeah. Let's not talk um, sexual orientation. Let's not talk about um, native Americans. Right. Like there's so many things that are off limits in these families and my friends are like, I'd rather not go, mm -hmm. you know, and breaking down family bonds that you've had because of all these um, differences and everything that's been brought to the, the forefront, right? So of course racism existed. Yeah. We know this, we grew up with this, mm -hmm. seven, eight years old. I got stories when I was nine, the first time I heard the N word mm -hmm. said about myself, mm -hmm. right? Um, but we just kept moving on, yeah. right? And this has forced people to have to look at themselves. Absolutely. And some people don't like what they see. No. And they don't like that you're the one holding up the mirror for them to see mm -hmm. it. So they'd rather just shut you down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the, the thing that I've gotten m more honest in saying to my white friends is that my general philosophy is... If you live by the things that you say, I'm good with you. Now, I mean, if if you're 
just super straight up like Arab people need to be nuked. I hate Asian people. Niggers go back to Africa. It's like, nah, like I'm, we're not going to do anything. Right. But, you know, but if you can be like, oh, yeah, you know, like, you know, I was in the store and there were like three black teenagers that were like kind of being a little loud. It like made me feel a little uncomfortable. It's like I actually respect you more now because I know you and I know you were thinking that. And that doesn't mean that you don't love me or care about me. And it doesn't mean that if something problematic happened to those young people, you wouldn't stick up for them. Like maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. But it's like that's a feeling that you have. Absolutely. It's a feeling that I have sometimes. You know, it's like, you know, I I see it with – my white friends and like where they send their kids to school. It's like because almost all of my white friends always find a reason to move to a white suburb when it's time to send their kids to school. And it's like I'm not even mad at you for that. I don't even necessarily disagree with your decision because I have very strong concerns about a lot of um, majority black schools. And for me, it goes deeper of like the the entire ecosystem is is infected mm-hmm. and the the culture that black children are socialized in um, expects mediocrity at best from them. Yes. And that is sustained for generations and it's internalized. And at a certain point, you can literally, you could eliminate white people tomorrow and a lot of the problems that plague black society wouldn't go away because our minds have been so poisoned. Right. Um, but I'm willing to like lean into that conversation and be super honest about it. And a lot of the work that I do is to counteract that. Like... You just kind of don't want to pretend that it exists and you condemn other white people for making the same decision that you make. And it's like you're not being honest. Right. And if you're as serious about healing and reconciliation as you say you are, all of us need to look within ourselves to say, like, how are we contributing to whatever these things are? What what can we do? as individuals to make our part of the world better and what what systems can we develop to counteract these things but like don't don't pretend like you don't feel that way don't pretend you don't have prejudices because i you know i have i've got my fair share of prejudices Mm -hmm. that i'm working through um but yeah that that like looking within yourself is a super is the scary thing and it's easier just to be like oh no it's 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 the red shirt people over there they're the they're the really bad people yeah 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 um all right so so something that i uh i want to shift gears a little bit and um you know talk about the the art that you are now making you know so you know so so you've you've got your family business you know you know it's you know it's it's like you know the the financial and uh, you know insurance partridge family thing that you're right. doing, and you know, and then you're you're also generating art, and so like this is visual art that you're doing, yes. and is it so like is it paintings, is it collages? It's painting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and so so to the degree that you know you're you're comfortable in in sharing the details of like you know how you started doing this, like like what was it? I mean, like were you like were you did you do like doodles when you were a kid or you know. Not at all. Um, so let's see how to explain this. I am a spiritual person, mm-hmm. not so much religious. Gotcha. I did grow yeah. up Catholic, but really have delved into my spirituality, mindfulness, meditating. Um, I carry crystals. I, you know, mm-hmm. the yeah. whole nine. Uh, so, and, and I, I have a quick question about that. So, sure. so the, the Catholicism is, I mean, is that, 
um, because of the the Panamanian and like and and Caribbean. Uh, yes. Because oh, the main reason I'm asking because I'm just like. Because it's like okay, well, yeah, no, like uh, you, 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 you can be a you know person of color and Catholic in like New York, but I'm like, I'm, I'm sort of like, how did Catholicism go down in Texas? Because I yeah. used to feel like Texas is very just like <laughs> Protestant, Anglican, or like Baptist, yeah. like maybe AME. So I'm sort of like, oh, like Catholic and yeah, Catholic. Texas, like, like were there like three of you? No, yeah. no. Well, uh, yeah, that look like me. Yeah. Yes, yes. Not yeah. three people total, but three people. Yeah. My mother, my brother, and I. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We, um, my grandparents were Catholic in Panama, mm-hmm. to New York, um, Catholic church, yeah. you know, St. Catherine. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, my mom got married in the Catholic mm-hmm. church. It was all Catholic. And then when my mom was getting divorced, the Catholic church was like, no, right. not yeah. a good idea. Um, and they didn't know her background and her background was very, um, abusive and right. tumultuous yeah. and yeah. it was not a good place to be. And it was kind of like, well, can't you just pray about it? So right. my mom yeah. was kept, continued to raise us Catholic, mm-hmm. but kind of shied away from it for herself. Mm-hmm. And then as we got older and we were able to find our own way, yeah. I became more of a spiritual gotcha. being. Yeah. yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, I'm, and I'm I'm sort of similar. Um, yeah, I mean, I went to Christian elementary school, third through eighth grade. I honestly think it was more that like, the, it was just a good school. Mm-hmm. One of my brothers had gone there. But yeah, I mean, I did Bible classes. Um, like, yeah, we were raised Lutheran. My grandma was a practicing Lutheran the whole time that I knew her. And my, my parents are practicing Lutherans now. Okay. They go to church every Sunday. Um, but yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm not an atheist. Um, but literal interpretations of any religious text, I'm like, that that doesn't seem to be the truth to me. Right. Um, you know, but I always say I could be wrong. And also, you know, I personally just like to lean into like, well, like what, what, what's the core truth in the message of what your, your religion is? Because I mean, they all strike me as variations on the same theme and, you know, people experience God in different ways. So I'm like, Hey, you know, Hey, you know, if you're a cool person, i super happy for you and you know i i love it but yeah you know so all right yeah so i i feel like we're in the in a sort of like the same realm of of spirituality i i don't necessarily uh carry crystals with me mainly just because like (laughs) i like i don't know which ones to get so and i don't want to be one of those dudes of like yeah i saw this guy on tv and he said the blue crystal will like you know make my you know i don't know make me uh, happy or something like ah, I, don't, yeah, I, I don't know but like right, you know right. yeah if you know if i find the crystals that vibe with me maybe i'll i'll get them but yeah no uh, you do what you yeah. do um i carry hematite that's my ring okay that's a protection. yeah i was i was wondering i was like i've been, i've been looking at your ring yeah people can't see because this is a podcast but she has a <laughs> she has a ring on her thumb yeah okay that's my hematite for protection awesome um you know helps with any kind of negativity mm-hmm. yeah uh, nothing against you but we'd never met i've yeah. never been here and it was just kind of a way to help myself ground to come absolutely into an area absolutely where I wasn't familiar yeah no makes um, sense Rose quartz is for love, um, but not romantic love, just love that you're putting out into the world. Absolutely. You know, each crystal has its own um, meaning behind it. But um, I was going through kind of a rough spot. My son was struggling. He's only 10 at the time, nine. And every day he'd come from home from school and he would just be a mess. He was being bullied and he... 
is not very good at communicating or even getting in touch with his own feelings. Sure. So he'd come home and lash out at us at home. Right. And it was, it was pretty volatile. And I turned to just watching crap TV and eating. But that didn't make me feel good. Right. That's yeah. what made me feel worse. Mm-hmm. So one day I just kind of threw my hands up to universe because that's my my dude. Mm-hmm. You have gods, mm-hmm. I have universe. Yeah. And I was like, what do you want me to do? Yeah. And went into my meditation asking that question over and over again. And in my meditation, I heard paint. And I was like, whoa, because paint what? But who paints? I don't paint. I don't even own a paintbrush. Yeah. What are you what are you talking about? Um, I dismissed it for a couple days. A week went by. I went into meditation again with that question in mind. What do you want me to do? And I came out of that meditation and I grabbed my cell phone and I Googled painting for people who don't know how to paint because mm-hmm. I needed to find. Yeah, <laughs> you you I, I put it out there. My whole thing is if you ask and you believe you receive. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Even though I did not know what this meant. I just figured I needed to follow that path. It was put there for a reason. So I found poor painting when I Googled. And I watched some videos and figured out what to do. And then I ran over. And so question, so so when you say poor painting, is it like P-O-U-R? Like you pour stuff? Well, I am P-O-O-R, but yes, it is (laughs) P-O-U-R, poor painting. Um, so basically you take an acrylic paint and you add a medium to it, which is called Floetrol, which makes the paint, uh, liquefy okay. so that you can literally pour mm, the paint mm-hmm. on any, on any surface. And I thought, Hmm, I'll try that. So I went to the store, just Walmart and got some cheapy paint because yeah. I wasn't going to invest in this right, yeah. if it wasn't going to work. Right. And I made my first painting and I threw it on Facebook and I was like, guys, look what I'm doing. And I was shocked because um, my friend was like, how much is it? And I said, oh, what what are you talking about? How much is it? I don't even understand what you're talking about. You can have it. Mm -hmm. And she's like, no, 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 I don't want it. I want to buy it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, she's so sweet. My friend, so kind. Um, So. I said, okay, 20 bucks. And she was like, nope, that's not enough. Right. And I was like, what, what do you mean it's not enough? All right, 25? Nope, nope. She paid $50 for my mm-hmm. first painting. Mm-hmm. Again, just thinking that she was a good friend right. and trying to be sweet. So I started to paint more and more people wanted to buy the paintings. And I thought, wow, this really does mean something because mm-hmm. there's a reason behind this. And what kept coming back is everybody was saying that when they looked at the painting, how it made them feel. Mm -hmm. And I make sure that before I paint, but before every painting, I sit down and I meditate. Mm -hmm. I meditate for calm and peace and love into this world. I meditate for calm and peace into people's hearts. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of just let go and do what I do. And I was at... um, a fundraising event and I met a woman there who does art installations for a library and she asked to see some of my paintings because friends were talking about it and she gave me a two-month art installation at this local library and 
still blows my mind mm-hmm. because I, I'm like, you know, they want to know, are you trained? How long have you been doing this? Is this your passion? No, never, never was. Yeah. Um, it became a way for me to calm myself, mm-hmm. um, a way not to stuff my feelings. I can release in that way. And then it also impacts other people. And it has been such a wild ride with vendor fairs. Um, I've been in two different locations. I've just been asked to be in a third. I had a woman reach out to me that told me that her daughter would go to the library and sit with my paintings because she suffers from anxiety and it gives her such a calm. Mm, mm -hmm. And if I would, I'm going to meet her tomorrow because she purchased one of my paintings to give her daughter for Christmas. Um, the, the beauty of this art form is you don't have to have any talent. Yeah. It, there's no, when you try to control this art form is when it doesn't work. Yeah. It truly is a letting go process mm-hmm. and it is healing for me as it is for others. Yeah. I, I do Reiki. I'm a Reiki mm-hmm. okay. practitioner. Oh, awesome. Awesome. And the, the thing I love about Reiki is how reciprocal the healing is. Mm-hmm. It heals mm-hmm. the person who gives it and yeah. the person yeah. who receives that's how the painting is yeah, for me. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And what's so what is super interesting is I I don't know if you remember this, but when when I first was talking to Jill about you, I I emailed Jill and said, So uh, I'll give you some background information that's gonna inform what I'm about to say. So I've worked in the nonprofit world for like eleven years. I was working at a place up uh, for the last job I had. I was there for two years and I was let go in uh, August, you know, because like they were downsizing and like, you know, it wasn't the right fit. I was super miserable there. So like they did me a huge favor when they got rid of me. So I was like, this is actually great. I'm super happy. So then I was like, all right, like I'm thinking of shifting careers. You know, maybe I want to try this. Maybe I want to try this. You know, I'd been I'd been at that point. I'd been working on the podcast for like six months and. You know, like I tell I tell people honestly, I'm I'm like, well, my dream is to monetize this podcast and like more than anything, I you know, I want to make valuable content that can be really helpful to people. Like right. that's the motivation. Um, I would love for for it to be my full time vocation because like if you can do something you love versus something that you're like, yeah, I don't really like this, but I gotta pay the bills. It's like, why would you not? Like and a lot of my spiritual belief is centered around the fact that like the creator, the singularity, however you define that wants you to be happy. Mm-hmm. That that entity does not want you to suffer for 90 years and then have like two good days before you die. Right. And that entity doesn't even necessarily think that like you need to, you know, eat a lot of crap before good stuff happens. Now, sometimes the like proverbial eating crap helps get some of us into the right headspace to really appreciate the good things. Right. But it doesn't have to be that way. But if that's the journey that is like the most revealing for you, then that's the most revealing for you. Right. But, you know, so so that was what was going through my mind. And so I reached out to Jill just because I was like, eh, you know, maybe she can help me with this. Like, she's always, you know, friendly with me. And then she's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, you should talk to you should talk to this woman, Jen, because like, you know, she's like, she's had the, I can't remember the words that she used, but she said something like, she's had like, just like this amazing swing in her career of like, she's like, it's just, it's been this like super ridiculous, awesome 
art journey that's like just come together so quickly for her. So yeah. I was sort of like, eh, what does she mean by that? And then when we talked on the phone and you told me, I was like, whoa, like that's like, yeah. you know, at least from an outside perspective, I'm like, that's really cool because I mean, in a fairly short amount of time, you are being known as a person who's really generating things, uh, art that is bringing value to people's lives, you know? Yeah. And, and like you said, you know, like, I mean, you, you, you don't have formal training in it and you really kind of came to it with a spirit of sort of like, yeah, I, I got to do something to, to change the, the, the vibes in my world. Like what, if the thing is climbing a mountain, I'll climb a mountain. If it's changing a tire, it's changing a tire. Right. And the creator is like paint. And it's like, you sure? All right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that it's just in terms of kind of market saturation or like brand awareness, like whatever the, the, the industry jargon is, it's a relatively short amount of time, which I think is yeah. pretty awesome and powerful. And I also recognize that this is coming from, you know, a lot of uh, emotional and spiritual and like familial, like uncertainty and angst and even like sadness, anger, mm -hmm. maybe like bitterness. So I, you know, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's also interesting for people to know that because I know when we were first talking on the phone and I feel like you had expressed these ideas maybe of like, is it kind of unfair that like these things are happening to me yeah. this quickly with the art and, you know, and sort of like my counter to that is like, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe not. And I'm sure like there might be some person listening being like, wow, like I've been working on this for 90 years and like, it's not fair, but it's, but you know, I mean, the thing that I feel like is that, well, the, the emotional distress that led you to pursue this I don't really know if that's something that like people would want, you know, because I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer of like, well, like what makes you happy? So, um, you know, like, like there was a period where like, I always was like, I wish I could have been one of the Beatles. Like, I wish I could be Paul McCartney, right. like, because like the Beatles is one of my favorite bands ever. And it's like, yeah. And like John Lennon was murdered. So like if, if, one of my best friends was murdered. Right, right. It's like, well, is 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 the money and the fame worth? Like, your best friend killed at age forty. Net, his kids don't have a father. Murdered in cold blood. So it's like, okay, you know. Um. So yeah, that's just kind of where my no, brain no, is. No, no, I get that. I um, just to give timeline. I mean, it's December twenty nineteen. I got that message and started painting March of twenty nineteen. Yeah. Like, it, this is not years and years of, of doing it. And when I was first asked to be in the library, I did have almost this conflict um, within myself. Like, I know people who are amazing artists, like, talented, that are still struggling. Yeah. And, and it's not fair. And how did this fall into my lap? And I, I don't... I don't say that it's like, you know, I'm I'm lucky or or whatever. I think that these kinds of things happen and you have to listen. Mm -hmm. And you don't only listen, you have to act. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and I and I think what I did is I surrendered enough to say, I don't care what it is you tell me I need to do. 
if you can pull me from this, I'll mm-hmm. do whatever it is. Mm-hmm. There was nothing to lose right. with painting. Yeah. It was like, if this doesn't work, it doesn't yeah. work. It's yeah. not like I, in, you know, I, I even saw this in my life. Um, and I, I just am, am so, for lack of a better word, blessed because yeah. I, I was given not only the opportunity to do it, but the chance to listen and then the chance to follow through. Um, I know that I've had opportunities in my life to do things that I've gotten in my own way. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, you know, you get a message and you go, yeah, no, but that's not me. I mm-hmm. don't even mm-hmm. know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to pursue it. Um, where I call myself lucky is that when I asked, I was open enough to listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that's basically what it is. I I mean, when I when I think about it, it's absurd to me that I, I did this in March. It's only December. And like I have a, a resume. I've yeah. taught classes in this. Yeah. I've been in workshops where I've taught. I've been in a, a library. I'm in a historic tavern. My friend is opening an art studio and asked me to do my art there. I am on my friend's online store. Shout out to Spiritual Creations. And, um, and she, and it's black owned Yeah, and it, it, she just is always like, I'm not doing this alone. I'm taking you with me. And she has guided me, accepted me, loved me the whole way through. Um, I, and I, I, I don't even understand half the time. Sometimes I sit down to paint and I go, I can't, I can't, I, my heart's not in it. And my husband will look at me and he'll say, just meditate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and remember that it's not you. Yeah. I think a lot of people put ego in, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Absolutely. ego is not only like I'm better than, but it's also fear. Mm-hmm. And when I meditate and I, I throw it up to universe, I also throw up that fear. Yeah. So mm, when the messages mm-hmm, come back to me, mm-hmm. I am fully open to it yeah, and not fearful. And there's times where I don't even know where I'm going to go with this. And I'll say, you know, if this is what I'm supposed to do, you'll let me yeah. know. And another door opens. Yeah. 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 And I, I think that the, um, yeah, I think that people one. I think a lot of us have an, a misunderstanding of when people talk about the ego, we've been socialized to really think of it in terms of like, oh, well, am I being too boastful or yeah. like it's it's a it's like not ego and like the egotistical, but like, yeah, like more in the the f- feeling separateness from the world mm-hmm. like and 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 not necessarily like understanding your purpose and. And relinquishing the concept of who you think you are right. and these like labels that it's like that's maybe that's not necessarily you. Like right. maybe it is, but it's maybe not. And or maybe that's who you were for 70 years. And at 71, you're having a different understanding, like whenever it happens. Right. So I so, yeah, I, I think I think that is a part of it. And yeah. And I think it is also a thing of. So this is something that I battle with all the time is this idea of, you know, universe, show me the way. What 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 is what is gonna bring me bliss and happiness? And then it's revealed. It's like, yeah, I don't wanna do that. Like, <laughs> ah, okay. 
So if I want to be happier, like I can't hang out with these toxic people, but it's like, but they buy free drinks for me. So (laughs) like, yeah. And it's like, no, like you asked for the answer. That's right. I just had this conversation with my brother where I told him that he needed to ask and whatever the answer is, even if the answer is, um, you know, start a farm and raise chickens. Yeah. Like, why, you know, don't even question it. Get mm-hmm. your farm and get your chickens yeah. because there's a reason. Yes. Um, I used to not believe like that. Um, yeah. I used to believe that if I asked Universe something and they gave me something that sounded like nonsense, that it just wasn't my time. Yeah. You know, that this message was for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did not question why to paint. And then here I am. Yeah. So I... I urge anybody that when you ask universe and you get the answer even if it's what you wouldn't think of for yourself or you never even thought of for yourself but there's a way to do what universe guided you to do just follow through Mm, yeah very much so and and i'm i'm at the point in my life where for me personally and to the degree that people ask me for my you know my thoughts and opinions on things I'm kind of like super about leaning into the like, if you actually think that this is so far removed from like who you are and what you should do, it's actually much more of a reason to to do it. Because yeah, again, like this, it's super interesting, at least for me to like look back on my life and think about my perception of myself and how so much of it is really just based off of the opinions of other people the opinions of other people about themselves, not even necessarily about me or even things where it's just like, yeah, I like, I was kind of into that thing when I was 20 and it's cool. Like there's nothing wrong with it, but that thing might only occupy 7% of my life. Right. Which is totally fine. Um, Or, or even, yeah, just like these outdated concepts of like people, change like you I know way more than I did when I was 20 so it's it doesn't make sense for me to say like well no when I was 20 I said I was going to do this thing right um because someone who I used to read a lot I don't necessarily read a lot of his stuff now um you know I think he's fine nothing against him but um in terms of mindfulness meditation Wayne Dyer was one of the like people that like I used to read a lot Mm -hmm. and one of the things that he talked about is the whole concept of would you take advice from a 17 year old? And so the whole idea is that people who are going through these different phases in their life and they're at certain ages and they're like, Oh, should I do this or that? And should I shift careers? And a lot of times it comes back to the, for people, this idea of, Oh, well when I was, I've wanted to do this thing ever since I was 15. And when I was 15, I told myself I was going to do this thing. Or when I was 17, I told myself I was going to do this thing. And then he he says to the reader, so whatever age you are now, 25, 40, 60, would you walk up to a 17-year-old and say, give me advice on how I should live my life? I'm 60 (laughs) and I've raised kids and have grandkids and have maybe started a business or like served in the army. You're a junior in high school. What do you think I like? No disrespect to the 17 year old, but it's like, mm, you know, and I'm a believer that like we should listen to the youth and that they have a lot of insightful things to say. And having worked with a lot of young people, even people in their mid 20s, it's like, no, like, yeah, 
you're a wonderful person, but like you know what you know. Right. Exactly. So I'm I'm not going to base my parenting, like how I raise my son off of like a thing that a 24 year old read in a book. Right. Right. No disrespect. So, yeah, I think that's a thing that like we do to ourselves a lot. Absolutely. We do. So, so something that I'm curious about is do you so like do you consider yourself an artist do you just consider yourself like a spiritual conduit and and the and this form of painting is where it comes out right now and in 7 years it could be like building shrines or like starting farms or even i don't know like you know teaching businesses to yep. kids like 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 how do you how do you see yourself so spiritual conduit is beautifully said um i feel like at this moment in my life when i asked this was the answer and in three years from now if i ask and the answer is different i probably will shift okay yeah yeah i don't i don't feel like this is me even when people say they get something from my paintings they feel something it makes them feel a certain way I don't feel like that's Jennifer that was just given through me and my job was to put it out and I did my job. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I have a hard time with is when someone commissions me to do something. If you ask me to do something, I will do what is put through me. Mm-hmm. Right. So I meditate and I give yeah. you, but if you, tell me I want these colors and right. I kind of want this color next to this color and I want it doesn't work like yeah, that. yeah. I, I I fully fully give control over to universe to source mm-hmm. whatever you want to yeah, call them yeah and um he's just he she using me to to do it yeah um and that's where I'm able to remove the ego because sure. at no point do I think that this is me right Right. So the message was given to me because I guess whoever gave it to me knew that I would do with it what I was supposed to. Right. And if in three years somebody says, I think you need to open a snail farm, I'll right. be like, all right, where do I buy snails? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that's the message. Yeah. 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 It's I uh, yeah. I love it. I love it. It's, oh, thank you. <laughs> no, it's not. It's it's great. Um, And also because. Again, I've. I've been really talking to a lot of people about happiness, um, partially because I've done a lot of research on personal development, professional development, like all of that, like the intersection. Um, and a lot of it really had was born out of a particular job that I was in where I was like running a nonprofit and I just I was responsible as like the you know, as the the primary fundraiser. So my initial outreach in or not outreach but like looking into all this different material was like how do I raise a lot of money how do I become rich how do I make money for the company and then I can pay myself more da 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 and all of the stuff that I read watched listened to it was really about you know just thinking about riches holistically it's like are you rich on the inside you mm-hmm. know if you're rich on the inside the 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 financial compensation will like match what your vibe is right. and you know and and then um through that it was really I found uh, this one particular person who's, you know, it's this guy. His name is Gary Vaynerchuk. His name's not important, but he's like this big entrepreneur who's like worth like $142 million. Like, you know, he has a big media company. But his whole thing is like, well, are you happy? Like, more than anything, are you happy? Right. And his whole vibe is 
maybe working in investment banking will give you $200,000 a year and you have like a big house and a Porsche, but like you actually could be miserable and you actually might be happier running a potato farm making 60000 a year. And right. it's like, and it's cool if you want to make 200000 making the potato farm, but it's like, even if you don't reach the 200000 if you're doing the thing that makes you happy, you will feel much better than going into some place, even if it's only six hours a day, doing a thing that you actually just like don't like. Right. Um, so, so like that is something that like, you know, I've really been thinking about. But the reason why I bring it up is that for me, I went to art school, so I have a BFA in acting. You know, I did the whole conservatory training. And it's taken me a while to, like, really figure out, so what is it in the world of art that I like to do? Okay. And I don't really think that it is, like, generating art. Like, because I used to write plays. You know, I used to act and I used to write plays and I've written a couple of short film scripts. And it's like, I don't really know if that's the thing that really makes me happy. And if I'm even really, like, that good at it. But what I do like is the the discourse and the curation of art and the conversations around art and the movements and like what does it mean you know um particularly for black folk writ large you know communities of color outside of you know not outside but beyond that um you know and for me you know like when i say black folk like i'm talking the entire diaspora so okay. the united states the caribbean the continent you know black folk in france whatever like that's what i'm super passionate about but the reason why i say that is that I think it's super important for people to like really figure out like, do you want to be a professional musician and tour the world and do whatever and be on the road 200 days out of the year? That could be the thing that you love. Or you could really just like to make crazy bonker avant-garde music in your basement whenever you feel like it and then you put it out on SoundCloud or iTunes and maybe people like it, maybe they don't. Mm Mm-hmm. But you're like, yeah, I like this thing, and I do it whenever I feel like. Yeah, right. I, I think it's very important to like demystify the the world of art, and for people to understand that it's a thing of like these these things that we've been told are like the metrics of success. It's it's fine if you want them, and it's fine if you don't want them. Right. So like, just don't. Don't live into someone else's narrative. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's tough. Um, I, th- I think that happiness is actually more work than anything else, mm-hmm. than being angry, than being sad. Those things are, are super easy to fall into. Yeah. And that happiness is the work. And I think that for me personally, everyday gratitude small 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 things like i open my eyes in the morning and i say thank you yeah that right there's meditation Mm -hmm. you know some people think that you have to light the right incense and have the right music and do you have bells and do you have this and then you need to be silent and just a simple thank you in the morning is a meditation yeah yeah and to work on your happiness this is hard as you would work on your job or to get your car mm-hmm. or to get your computer or to get whatever it is that you're financially seeking. Um, if you put that energy into just your happiness, you, you can achieve am- amazing things. I, um, 
I can honestly say that I am a happy person and I'm going through some stuff that yeah. is, is, is heavy. It's not mm-hmm. um, easy. It's, it's not every day I can just be like, oh, well, this happened and now I'm happy. But I I know that when my mind is right, when my body is nourished in the right way and when I offer out my gratitude, it returns back to me tenfold. Yes. You know, I'll I'll wake up in the morning with a thought and I don't even know why I have this mm-hmm. thought, but I put it out there to my Facebook friends in the world and I get private messages. Oh my God, that's what I needed to hear. Thank mm-hmm. you for the words. You have no idea. Um, I was almost on in tears and now I'm laughing. It, it's so important and and so many people censor themselves yes you absolutely. know like you 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 want to tell somebody about mm-hmm. your joy mm-hmm. but then you're like well no because that's me bragging it's not because it might be what someone needs absolutely. at that moment to hear and so and so do it and I say if you work hard in life for all those other material things work just as hard at your happiness yes yes absolutely yeah one one of the best quotes I, I ever heard was, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Yes. And it's once I really started to understand that, my life got so much better. And the thing that I didn't understand was I really liked what you talked about, you know, just, just saying like, oh, you know, like waking up and feeling gratitude or a small thing happens and and being like, thank you. And that that is meditation because I I used to fall into the trap of, I would like lay in my bed for an hour and I'd meditate and I visualize and I would like talk about like all the things I was like really, really, really grateful for. And then I would go through the entire day really pissed off in a super bad mood, just like everything was making me angry. And I'm, I'm like, that's the real meditation that I'm doing. It's like the, for me, prayer and meditation is how do you emotionalize your thoughts? Mm-hmm. How do you emotionalize your thoughts? Um, and so even when I know people who are going through challenging things and, you know, and I say like, you know, I'm going to pray for you the way that I like to go about that is it's like, all right, well, like I, I just, I'm going to continue to like put out positive energy into the world, you know, and for how like that manifests for me. And then when I catch myself, um, you know, not being my best self, you know, like I reflect and like, okay, like, why did I do that? Like, where is that coming from? What's it all about? Like, you know, and how do I improve? And, you know, and I really try to, when I like sit down with people, like I want people to feel better having a conversation with me than like they did before the conversation started. Even if we talk about some like heavy stuff, right. I don't want people to lo- leave being like, yeah, Mike's a smart dude, but like, oh, I don't want to hang out with that guy. He's depressing. <laughs> right. Um, and and I think people sort of get caught up on the like, oh, yeah, but like, you know, I have the incense. I have the crystals, you know, like I I painted my my room orange, you know, like the book said that orange is the color of love. And it's like, OK, like that's that's all cool stuff. But like if you're listening to super angry music and you talk about how much you like hate your mom, yeah, right. the, the, the paint isn't really going to do that. Much. Nope, 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 nope. The Reverend, so I'm Universal Unitarian. Okay. 
And the Reverend at my church talks about ordinary praise. Mm, mm-hmm. And I find those moments and then I always hashtag and send it to him because it's so important. You're going about your day and you know, it's it's a, a cloudy day yeah. and you're gloomy and everything else and you look up and you see a rainbow. That's yeah. ordinary praise. Yeah. You know? And he's really big into showing that to the world and you know, um, that's been a big part of 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 my happiness is finding that ordinary praise. Yeah. Oh, yeah, de- definitely. I mean, and like for me uh, personally, well, like one, I I trimmed down the number of Facebook friends I had to like 130. Like part of it was because there were certain people. It's like, oh, we're Facebook friends. Like I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Like it's like in the last time I talked to them was like 2007. Right. So like part of it is just the thing of like I it's I can't manage like the, I it's like and for I mean at this point for me like Facebook is really just the thing that I personally use to like talk about stuff that I'm doing for the podcast. Like right. I interviewed this person and like, here's like a, a thing that like they kind of reference. So like, here's what they were talking about. Um, but part of like why I trimmed down my Facebook page is that so many people that I know are talking about all of the things that make them unhappy, which it's like, I understand and we're living in very concerning times, but I think that there is a certain diminishing returns it's like i i don't know necessarily how beneficial it is for me personally to hear 47 different people talk about how bad this thing is or that thing or that thing it's just like learning more about how upset you are does not make me a more productive member of society like even if you want me to take action on this it's like i'm i'm more consumed by like your feelings about it than like okay well like how do we stop this thing? Right. Um, you know, but, and I'm also someone who like, I don't believe in policing people's language. It's like, I'm not going to tell you not to post something, like do whatever you want. It's on me whether I take it in or not. Right. So like, there are a lot of people that I just like unfriended because it's like, I, I don't talk to you that much. And so like, it's kind of just too much information right. for me. But if you're in Philly, hit me up, let's hang out. Um, but also I, I do think that there is personally, I think that there is a need for more people to be if they genuinely feel this way to be p- proactive about putting their positivity out into the world and so if you want to do that on social media you should do that i usually don't do that on social media because it's just like i'd rather just like be like oh here's a funny video i saw watch this it's like right. i don't i don't want to think too much and like type but when i'm with you in person i'm all about like What's going on? That's awesome. You're great. Or even if people are going through like a tough thing. Right. Um, you know, because, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to like out anything. You know, I'm not going to share anything about you that like you're not comfortable sharing. But, you know, you've had, you know, challenges, you know, your family and, you know, people that you care about. Um, and so, you know, when I shared what I shared, it was really just like, OK, well, I, I don't want anyone to go through just this type of like bullying and pain. And since I've gone through some of it and here's what I was able to do to get on the other side, like I'm, that's what I'm trying to share. So right. like, so I don't necessarily, like I don't necessarily do that like on public, you know, on social media, but like right. if I'm talking to people, it's just like, all right, well like here, here's what I'm just trying to give you because like life, life, this, this is a beautiful world. So like, I want you to be, you know, happy. But the reason why I say that is that I th- think that there are honestly a lot of people who genuinely do believe that like if 
the more the more that we talk about how bad things are like that will make the world better and it's like i understand why you think that way i don't i don't i disagree with that so i'm going to try to pump as much positivity into this world because i want positivity to be people's default set right so that when the crazy stuff happens people's minds go to okay this thing that is even abhorrent is happening how do we correct the ecosystem to get back to peace, love, and abundance? Right. You know, right. it's like I, I, it's it's about you know loving positivity more than hating negativity. It's like I love positivity. Oh, I like that. You know, yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm trying. No, that's yeah, definitely. I um, I took this challenge. I don't even might have been in 2015. My cousin put forward, and um, it was 100 days of happiness. Mm. All right, so. I start day one and it's just like so lame. I am happy for Cheetos, you know, yeah. like no, like nothing. Yeah. And as the days went on and my happiness grew, my reasons for being happy were much more significant than Cheetos. Mm-hmm. But then I saw a shift in all my friend circles where they wanted to share their happiness, mm-hmm. right? And the posts that people were posting were happier posts mm-hmm. and I was like on day I want to say like 80 something and I had gone to a party a friend of mine was having my husband was there and our kids were there and they were outside playing and I was putting down roasted I remember this day so vividly I was putting down roasted red peppers on the mm-hmm. <laughs> on the table and this woman just stops me and she says why are you so happy I never met this woman in my life. Mm -hmm. She didn't know me. We didn't have any Facebook connection. She did not know me. And I said, what are you talking about? And she was like, there is just something about you. I see it around you. You are so happy. And I was like, what? So she turns to my husband. Why is she so happy? What what is going on in your life that makes you so happy? Mm -hmm. And I realized, sorry. No, no, you're you're good. Yeah, my mine keeps slipping down for some reason. I realized that you put that happiness and everything out into the world and it comes back to you. It actually starts to transform you and yeah. people can see it mm-hmm. and just being in your presence, mm-hmm. they feel it. And it was the start of of this happiness journey yeah. for me yeah. because it it did not only change me, it changed so many people. And as I got to closer to 100, the messages from people would say, what am I going to do when your 100 days yeah, are up? Yeah. What are you? I, I look forward to these mm-hmm, every day mm-hmm. and I just did not want to stop. Yeah. So I, you know, you get those Facebook memories and I look back at 2014, yeah. 2015, yeah. 20, and I am still the same happy, positive person. I'm not going to say that I don't have moments where I don't feel great. Sure. But when I don't feel great, it's when I turn to those happier moments mm-hmm. because I need to pull myself out. Yeah. You know, I mean, like anybody, I've been through stuff and I, I get myself in a hole and I know what that feels like. And it's not a good feeling. No. And I can easily get there and stay stuck. But that's not what I want for my life. So even if it's just let me grab my coloring book and color till I smile, let me get my journal let me write something. Let me put on some Bob Marley. Yeah. Because that'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I have just seen the trickle effect. Yeah. And I do believe that the the blessings that I have in my art come from 
my attitude yes. and, and my happiness and the positivity. And when people meet me, they see more of me than I even realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's really, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the concept of what are you an energetic match to, you know? So, I mean, like a, a lot of the mindfulness work that I engage in personally, it's, it's really, yeah. The, the idea is that you end up being connected to things that you are an energetic match for. So if you're unhappy, if you are in victim mode, if you think that you are worthless, you will attract people and situations that will confirm how worthless you are. You yes. know, I mean, it's just, it's the whole reason that, you know, people who aga- habitually engage in abusive behavior find themselves connected to people who consistently find themselves on the receiving end of abusive behavior. Cause it's like, it's, you know, it's, it's like a, like a magnet, like, mm-hmm. the, and, and abusers can like sense it, even if it's not conscious, you know, right. it's Absolutely. like, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm sure, well, at least in my, you know, in my life when I've like shifted my energy where it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm super angry and I'm like, you know, with like, you know, the angry crowd when I just sort of like change my energy and I don't even necessarily necessarily say like I'm not hanging out with you anymore it's like you know I just like shift my way of being or I don't engage it's like those people usually recede because like they're they're not a match to me like they they want someone to complain with or I'm just not that eager to be like oh yeah like you know let's go out or do whatever um yeah and it's really amazing how much that stuff really compounds like when you put it out there and um and especially, you know, if you're a, a confident sort of, you know, dynamic person, like uh, it, one of the things I have found very interesting is seeing how people unconsciously modify their behavior based on whomever is like the most uh, engaging personality in the room. And they're not trying to like fit in, but it's just sort of like, you know, it's it's always that joke of when friends from high school meet up like they just start talking about like stuff from they were 15 and, right. and they just yeah they start acting like like a 17 year old because oh, it's yeah. like that, that <laughs> your energy is getting crazy and you know getting drunk and sneaking out of your house so even if you're 50 that's what you, you you're biologically wired to think of like whomever as a like oh this is my crazy friends i'm yes. gonna get turned up now yes um so like uh so are there particular people whose writings around meditation and mindfulness have been like super influential to you or like 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 what like what like yeah like uh, how how did you get into your spiritual practice and mindfulness and meditation and like yeah like I mean are there like people that you really are like oh yeah like this is the person that resonates for me no I um I got into meditation um as as a stress relief right Mm -hmm. because I read all the books and, and you know the magazine articles and they say oh meditate yeah i didn't know what i was doing i kind of did my own thing um i like guided meditation mm-hmm. so i'll just throw on like a youtube video gotcha. not anybody in particular um but what i've been doing more and because of my son um i've been doing mindfulness mm-hmm. which is kind of like the opposite of meditation where meditation is you want to shut the world out mindfulness is you invite everything right right so in mindfulness i actually set my i have an an app it's called calm and um you can set chimes and they go off in a minute or two minutes or whatever however long you want to and you basically sit in silence and you allow your thoughts whatever they are to come 
and you stay with them for as long as they're mm-hmm. there until they want to leave. Yeah. Um, instead of trying to push them away, which is a meditation, that's what you yeah. do. Yeah. Um, I prefer mindfulness. I feel like I get more clarity mm-hmm. in mindfulness. Um, I get answers and I get um, just more guidance that way. So I just basically set my, my timer with my chimes and when my chime dings, then my time is up. Um, and for my son, meditation doesn't work as well as I think it could because he can't quiet his mind. His mind is constantly going, he's really high anxiety, um, ADHD, and it just is hard for him. But when we sit and do mindfulness, we take a breath. And then after that breath, we notice one thing in the room. So he'll say like, oh, I noticed that laundry basket. Mm, mm -hmm. And then we'll take another breath and he'll say, I noticed that box. And we'll go to five and I'll see Gage. Is he calmer now? Is he okay, able to have a conversation? And if he's still angst, we do another set of breaths and another five notices until he's able to calm himself down. So I've been trying to teach him mindfulness because it's okay to notice. I used to think meditation was the way to go and and that is for a lot of people sure, sure. the way yeah. to go. I'm not shutting it down. I I do like meditation, but I just have felt that mindfulness is um a big part of my healing. Yeah. Um so my I mean my so I have an older son and he was a twin and my son passed away when he was 11 days old. Mm, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, thank you. And um in meditation, I could stuff that stuff sure. down, right? Because anytime the thought of him would come up, mm-hmm. I, I would clear my mind. And yeah. in mindfulness, I had to confront it. Mm-hmm. And in confronting it, I was able to heal. Yeah. So I can sit in front of you and say I had a son who died 11 days old and not break down in tears like mm-hmm. I normally would. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, I'm, um, yeah, I'm very sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, I don't even... I don't know what to say. Um, oh, it's okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, um, s- my c- close friends know this. Um, I don't really know if anyone on the podcast knows this. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm just you know, again, like you know, I hope I'm not like sounding like I'm co-opting no. people's pain. But yeah, you know, I mean, when, whenever people are honest and transparent with me, I like to be honest and transparent with them. Uh, so my son Mercer is uh, 17 months old. Naomi was pregnant three years ago, and at six months we got a very severe medical diagnosis where it was essentially if the pregnancy resulted in a birth, it was kind of a crapshoot as to like whether our child would be born alive or not. And wow. if she was born alive... Almost 99% going to be in a permanent vegetative state, severe brain swelling, possibly like would there was a strong possibility she would need to be on a uh, um, yeah, because we were pregnant with a girl. We found out she would have had to have been like on a breathing tube or like, you know, a, a breathing apparatus for her entire life and possibly needing like some type of like shunt in her brain to drain all the fluid. Um, so, you know, so we we made the decision to terminate the pregnancy really just centered around our question was what is the most compassionate thing to do right and not wanting 
to bring a person into this world in this diminished capacity out of a sense of like, well, I want to have a daughter. So who cares what she would want? I want to have a kid. It's all, you know, um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So we, we ultimate ultimately terminated the pregnancy, but yeah, it kind of felt like, uh, we had a gun to our head, you know, and it was our first pregnancy. So when we, for people that know us really well, or like, you know, if people that we feel particularly that we can be vulnerable with, you know, when people say like, oh, you know, is, is Mercer your first kid? For the people that we know really well, we'll say, oh, he's our second child. He, he's our first living child. You know, we have a daughter, Bernadette, and this is what happened. So, yeah, I just, yeah, you no, were I honest with me, so yeah. I wanted to be honest with you. I get that. People ask me, you know, oh, is it just the two? And mm-hmm. That stings a little. Cause yeah. You no, know it should have been three. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when people don't know your story. Yeah. Right. You just yeah. it's sometimes not even worth mm-hmm. having the conversation. I think th- the one beautiful thing you said is that sometimes what you want and what is the compassionate thing to do, they're not in alignment. Mm-hmm. And do you go with what you want, mm-hmm. which may be actually selfishly mm-hmm. what you want, mm-hmm. or do you take the compassionate route? And I, th- I think you guys handled that beautifully. And I'm so sorry for yeah. your loss. Yeah, no, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. So, um, I don't even know where we were. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We're just we're just talking about life. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, yeah. This th- this is what I really uh you know appreciate about this podcast is yeah you know i mean just being able to yeah have real conversations with people and it's like you know these are the things i like to talk about with people anyway so it's like i was like well i kind of got an excuse to do it now and it's like you know and you know and if i can help promote people's art and you know and yeah you know and you know and give our community a chance to like just talk about what we go through because it's like you know we very rarely get afforded the opportunity or it's or people like are trying to like put us in a box like well you think this thing don't you it's like maybe don't assume like ask me ask me what i think and i will tell you um so something that i i am curious about so you know so you're not the societal definition of like the classically trained artist you right. know and you're in your uh you know a, a spiritual conduit art conduit you know you're you're just jen you know what, whatever jen. that means <laughs> um but like so but i'm just curious like like what is some of the art that you're into like the music and like i mean are you a big like netflix and chill person or i love music okay i love music and i love all genres mm-hmm. of music i am not pigeonholed to one yeah um style yeah um one of my most favorite albums is the red hot chili peppers mother's milk excellent yeah so all right so so, and i want to know about this on multiple levels partially because the only chili peppers album i really listened to was blood blood sugar sex magic everybody Um, you know that like my my (laughs) yeah i feel like that was the one that everyone had and when i was a kid they kind of scared me because you know, like I either grew up on like the R and B that my brother, like the rapper, the R and B that my brother listened to. You know, mm-hmm. like or even in the world of rock music. No, nah, like when I was in middle school and high school, not like I sort of knew about the Beatles, but like the Chili Peppers, like those dudes were like crazy. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and so then like, but when I got into them. Blood Sugar Sex Magic was really, the, you know, because 
I think I was in a, like 11th grade when Under the Bridge and Give It Away came out. So I remember those videos on MTV. Um, and but yeah, but but and oh, I, I'm remembering this. I knew someone in middle school that had the Mother's Milk album. Okay. And like I said, I went to a yeah a Christian middle school, Christian elementary and middle school. It wasn't really that bad, but there were certainly elements where it's like, this is satanic music. Like we had a whole assembly <laughs> on satanic music. Oh, yeah. Like, so we, we had, um, we had chapel every Wednesday and you know, again, I've had overwhelmingly positive experiences in the church and at my school, a couple of, I had like one teacher who's like, you're all going to burn in hell cause you're bad kids. But I feel like that's the law of large numbers. I mean, yes. teachers shouldn't say that, <laughs> but like no weird sex abuse stuff. No, like, you know, berating kids and being like you're a demon but we definitely were told like there is satanic music so much so that my best friend in elementary school had a an a a wallet with the logo for it was an acdc like the band acdc had Mm -hmm. an acdc wallet and so someone told us that acdc stood for antichrist demonic children i've heard of that yeah yeah and so he took a a magic marker because like his mom got the wallet for him in like third grade or something okay and then he still had it when we were in seventh grade so he took a huge magic marker and like wrote over the logo because he's he's like it's it's satanic so i just say all of that to say that (laughs) yes someone uh showed me the mother's milk cover and i was like taken aback you know because i mean even though i i was a you know, 12 or 13 year old boy. And so, you know, heterosexual, cisgendered boy. Right. Uh, so like, yeah, the idea of, you know, a woman with no top, I'm like, oh, that's super awesome. But it, I I just remember sort of thinking like, did your parents like buy this tape? Like, how did you, because <laughs> if my parents caught me with that, I would be in so much trouble. Right. And there was definitely an element in my mind, still in middle school of like, you know, like I, if I, the devil might be in that. So I can't, I can't listen to it. Right. So as I'm thinking back, that was my initial reaction to that album. The Mother's Milk? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, so, so what is it that you, you love about that album? Oh my God. That album is just so freeing. Like I put that on and I can just thrash around the house. Yeah. Their cover of Hendrix, um, Fire. Oh, okay. Is incredible. Yeah, yeah. They do, a, they do a really good job with that one. Um, there's a song about Magic Johnson. Really? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That, that's that's also that's one of the things I love about them. It's like, yeah, they'll they'll do something like that. About any, yeah, yeah, yeah. That album is just really a good album for me. Um, I love the Violent Femmes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm a huge Bob Marley fan. Yeah. I like Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. I've gone, I've seen him in concert like three times. Okay. But on the flip side, like I've gone to see Belbiv DeVoe. And, yeah. You know, like I, I just, I, yeah. I don't put yeah. uh, like a stop on anything. Yeah, no separation. I love country music, mm-hmm. uh, jazz, you name it. Um, favorite jazz musician is Thelonious Monk. Nice. My dad will be very happy to hear that. Cool. Yeah, my dad is a huge hard bop enthusiast. And yeah, you know, all, all of the pillars of, of hard bops are Charlie Parker, Miles Davis, Thelonious mm-hmm. Monk. Um, yeah, but like he really, really, really loves Monk. Like yep. loves him. Yeah. Bemsha Swing. That's like the mm, best okay. one. Um, let's see. 
What so what country do you listen to? Because I I listen to a little bit of country, and I'm I'm not someone who's like, nah, it's redneck music. Because I mean, like, I like a lot of southern rock. Like, I like Leonard Skinner. Mm -hmm. Le like, legitimately, Leonard Skinner is one of my favorite bands. Yeah, nice. and you know, and when people are like, yeah, but you know, like the they had Sweet Home Alabama, and they like waved the Confederate flag. I was like, that's true, and. Axl Rose had that song One in a Million where he said nigger a lot right. and like Guns N' Roses like yeah like they were super problematic and Axl Rose was like said super racist shit you know all the time and Slash is actually half black so it's like right. at least Leonard Skinner <laughs> it's like they're they're being problematic a bunch just like white people who feel the same way right you know and they own it whereas like Axl Rose was like you know, I didn't mean it because I think I, I even read an, uh, I saw an interview with him when they were asking him asking him about one in a million. And he's he's like, I didn't mean all black people. He's like, you know, I just mean like, you know, the thugs and the dudes with the gold chains and the undesirables. It's like, bro, seriously, stop, <laughs> stop. talking. <laughs> You're not making it better. Nope, nope. It's nope. like and stop wearing the Charles Manson T-shirt like that's creepy. I so, know. I know. So uh, but yeah. That started off as me talking about country music. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but like, so I've listened to, yeah, I've listened to some Charlie Daniels. Um, I've listened to, uh, yeah, like the Highwaymen with, you know, um, Willie Nelson and, uh, you know, Chris Christopherson and Johnny Cash. So, like, I know some of that stuff. Yeah. And I honestly, when Shania Twain was doing her thing, like, I liked her stuff. I mean, I know it's like pop country, but it's like, right. I like a lot of pop music. So, like, I, her album that had all the hits on it like i like that that album yeah. so yeah i mean are there are there any like country people that you're like oh yeah you know this is yes so i don't like them i don't listen to the mainstream gotcha right? yeah so i don't know any of like the new people right but i like garth brooks and i like randy travis and i mm -hmm. like george Strait. oh yeah 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 so uh when you see miley cyrus like, are you, are you like, no. she's insane? Yeah. Um, you know, like, like, did you like Billy Ray Cyrus at all? No. Cause, I mean, cause he, he was like super, like he was like a commercial. He was yeah. poppy. Yeah. He was country. pop. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But going up in like growing up in Houston. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's who I, there was kids were listening to people were listening mm -hmm. to. So that's kind of what I glommed on to. Um, but no, no, Miley Cyrus. No, okay. No. She has a good voice. And the, the thing I, I will say is um, I have issues with Miley's whole, like, she's trying to do, like, the hip-hop thing and, like, twerk, and then, like, she's not into it anymore. And it's just like, but tons of people do it. So it's like, meh, I mean, that's kind of what a lot of white people do. So, like, I'm not I'm not that invested in her. Right. Um, I, I do respect the fact that, like, She's always seemed like a fairly like nice, um, yeah, like she doesn't really get into any like crazy trouble yeah, and she she's not like, decent. yeah, and she's not like, you know, doing, uh, you know, like heroin crazy and stuff. yeah, right. and, like being right. crazy. So right. I'm just like, yeah, you know, I mean, like she kind of acts bonkers, but like if if a video camera followed me around when I was her age, it's like I did as much crazy stuff, but like oh, I, yeah. I only was making like $15,000 a year. So my craziness was limited to like what $15,000 could right. could afford um <laughs> but yeah i'm i think she has a good voice but yeah but i i sort of like wonder for like people who like loved her dad or like i i just wonder like what they think of her like you know oh yeah no i wasn't i mean what was his achy breaky, achy, breaky heart, heart. Right? yeah but, like 
after that, I can't tell you anything. Yeah, I don't I know guess. if anyone knows anything that he did. No, now he's on that. the the um because my kids listen to it. That old town, no, not is that old town road? I forget the name of the song, but he sings with the rapper. Oh, um, is like, it old town road? I I don't know that much no. contemporary music. <laughs> like I I don't know anything. So wait, the, is he doing a song with uh with Lil Nas X? That's him. Okay, yes, yes. Okay, and I only learned about Lil Nas X two months ago yeah maybe um oh well all right so he's he did a song with him yeah if yeah, Mercer right. was like 10 you would okay. know all this stuff oh yeah yeah because yeah. that's that's only reason i know that's absolutely not my scene yeah but my kids love listening to that pop and stuff like that yeah, that's cool yeah that's i like cool. old school r&b uh so like so who do you consider like like the stylistics okay um anything stevie wonder mm-hmm. like you know before mm-hmm. um I just called to say I love you. Yeah, before yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bef- Hotter than July. Yeah, yeah. Know. Before he got like super schlocky. Yeah, pop. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, uh, so le- like stuff like like Donny Hathaway. Oh and, yeah, yeah, yep, 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 yeah. yep. And um, not so much like Temptations for Tops kind right, of. Right, right. Like I still think that was kind of like crossover. Oh, it absolutely right? was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mo- Motown. It was very packaged. Yeah, white America would like it middle class respectable you know air quotes respectable black people would yes. like it yeah it's very like suit and tie and like yes 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 yeah shimmy yeah. and sway and don't you know it's all about yeah holding hands and going to the malt shop nothing controversial no. about it yeah as opposed yeah marvin to like, gay yeah 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 suppose yeah like you know yeah marvin marvin gay donny hathaway um yeah i'm trying to think of like like who else yeah was big then yeah like yeah early Early Stevie Wonder, The Whispers, yeah, The Whispers, uh, Shaka Khan and Rufus, yep. Shalimar. Well, which you know is old school to me since I'm a I'm a bit younger than you. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I, I I mean that in the sense of um, so I'm I'm used to yeah you know I mean so yeah we're I know we're, what you mean. we're we're not the same age but <laughs> since I find myself in circles where I'm usually like the oldest person and so then. My when people talk about like oh I love old school R and B when I'm talking to like a 28 year old I'm like so who's old school R and B and they'll be like Bobby Brown you know that guy who used to be married to Whitney Houston oh, it's like okay for I know who Bobby Brown is <laughs> I don't call him old school and I'm like oh, it's old school yeah because I I remember being at a barber shop this is like 10 years ago okay and aside from the barbers like I was like the oldest guy there so I was like 30 or 25 or something. And it was like a bunch of teenagers. And I was, I was talking to the barber just about music and stuff. And um, we were talking, and this was when I was not very comfortable with being a black dude who likes rock music, who likes Pink Floyd and the Beatles and Weezer or whoever. Yeah. So, so I, I was talking to this barber um about oh yeah because i was i was i was actually getting a mohawk that's and so we were talking about stuff and so he started talking about like all this different stuff that he was into like all this heavy metal um and and then he was he was like he's like oh like do you listen to any rap and i was like i actually listened to a lot when i was a little kid because my one brother would play it a lot um but when he moved out of the house to go to college like that's when my period of rap sort of like dropped off Mm -hmm. um and and so then the barber started playing music from like when I was a kid. Yes, yeah, so like um, Big Daddy Kane yeah, yeah. and maybe like Special Ed. And so these 
kids who were like 12 or something, that music was so far removed from them. Yeah, they were like, oh, like, okay, yeah, this is old school. And it was something like he was playing Big Daddy Kane. And then they were like, is this Biz Marquee? Oh. And we were like, how do you get those two confused? <laughs> it, yeah, it's it's like if someone's like, I'm going to play this Benny Goodman record. And then you're like, oh, I think this is Thel- Thelonious Monk. It's right. like, no, no, Benny Goodman is extremely <laughs> different from Thelonious Monk. Right. So, yeah, so, so, w- so when I'm so used to that. So when people say old school, I'm like, Okay, like we're not talking about like Johnny Gill because like that's not yeah, no. old school. No, Sly. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, which he had a lot of like rock influence mm-hmm. too. Absolutely, absolutely. Awesome. Um, not old school, but I love Fishbone. Yeah, oh, <laughs> Fish. So Fishbone was really one of the bands that got me super comfortable with being who I was because I knew about them when I was a little kid. I went to a YMCA summer camp and my camp counselor, he kind of dressed like Angelo. Like, you know, he, he had the boots and the, the, the lock mohawk yeah, and the, yeah. the Dwayne Wayne glasses and everything. Nice. But you know, but being a little kid, I'm like, Oh, like these guys jump around. They're crazy. So I wasn't really that into them. And then it was really in college when I really started being comfortable with like, oh, like this is who I am. This is the music that I'm into. So like, let me actually overtly seek out black bands that are doing rock, ska, punk. And so then my friend John, who grew up with Jill, like he's, you know, he's white. His family's like Irish or yeah, Irish, Welsh, Italian. But like he knew a lot about Fishbone and he actually was like trying to like hit me to Fishbone when we were in college. And I was like, no, nah, those dudes are crazy. Like, nah, that, that's I, I like mellow music. Right. So he let me borrow a bunch of their CDs. And and then we like we went to a couple of Fishbone concerts together. We nice. actually and we even saw them fairly recently. We saw them out in Ardmore back in like 2016. Oh, yeah. So I've been okay. to like four or five Fishbone shows. But yeah. what I love about Fishbone is I love the fact that most of them were from South Central and and like they've gone on record. Like there's this one interview I watch of them on YouTube. They were being interviewed actually by a a Japanese TV station. But I think it was um, Chris Dowd, the trombonist and keyboard player who was talking about how like Deep Purple was his was his dad's favorite band. And and the thing that always used to annoy me as I got older was and I started meeting other black folk that were into rock music or into country because I have a very good friend. My one of my best friend, John is one of my best friends. So John and this guy Sigmund are like my two best friends. Sigmund grew up in Dallas, South Dallas. Nothing but black and Mexican folk around. He didn't really have any white friends until he was like six years removed from college. Okay, well. and. He listened to Stevie Ray Vaughan growing up. He yeah. listened to the Dixie Chicks. He was the first person that I knew of any race that was into Justin Timberlake after he left in sync. Like okay. like he was the first dude I knew who had a Justin Timberlake CD. Yeah, I mean like he's into like all of the like, you know, the, the all the indie rock. Like he he was he was that dude. Um he was into the Strokes and it kind of blew my mind because I'm like, well, People used to say, oh, well, Mike, you like that music because you grew up around white kids in the suburbs. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But most of the white kids that I grew up around only listened to rap anyways. Mm-hmm. And, right. they, and they hated white rappers. So right. so that's not really a thing. But I'm like, 
not, I know tons of black folk who even to this day don't even really know that many white people who like listen to, yeah, like the Eurythmics and Culture Club. Right. Um, And so, so yeah, so like in my early 20s, like, yeah, Fishbone was really the thing. And yeah, and I love the fact that like they, they were, you know, Angelo grew up in the valley, you know, in a mostly white part of the L.A. suburbs. But the rest of them, they're all South Central so, L.A., yeah. you know, and... Kendall Jones, the guitarist, was like uh, he he used to like compete at like math decathlons when he was a kid. Like he was like a straight up like honor roll student. That's and awesome. yeah, and <laughs> I I think what I love about them is that they're super weird. Like mm-hmm. they're just weird. They're also very serious. You know, like they do songs about apartheid right, and right. misogyny. But then Norwood like is wearing a diaper when he's performing yeah, yeah, and yeah. he's just like this weird, <laughs> like stoner, like weird hood surfer stoner dude. Yep. Um, yeah, they're just so bizarre. And, and I also like that they have sort of like their version of an Afrocentric vibe where it's like, yeah, Angelo is in a tuxedo and a bowler hat. Right. Speaking his weird sort of like, mumbo jumbo yet like old school like black slang from right. wherever his people are from right mixed with surfer talk mixed with just him just being a kind of bizarre dude right right and you know you got like dirty wall and fish who just sort of like dress like dudes on the block like right. they just look like block dudes <laughs> Kendall's in kente cloth and dashikis right. and it's got like the like yoruba gods yeah and then norwood it's like are you wearing a diaper, <laughs> bro? Like, like how 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 are you gonna have a banner that says "Free South Africa, Fee Mandela, like Long Live Stephen Biko," and you're in a diaper? diaper. Yeah, that yeah. I love it. Like that's so. Absolutely. I'm I'm trying to like just embody them on a daily basis. Totally, totally. I love them. I saw them at the truck. I don't know if you want to track the yeah, arrow. Yeah, I'm dating myself. I don't even know if it's still around. Yeah, I don't think it's around, but no. I I. Was going to shows there, yeah, like in yeah. two thousand three. Yeah, that's I, where I saw them. Nice. The truck. What uh, what year was that? Oh shucks, I'm saying wasn't two thousand, like late nineties. Okay. Yeah. That's so cool. Were you there? No, I I didn't get there. I didn't see them there until yeah, it was like two thousand two. Okay. I saw them at the Troc twice. Once they were headlining, once they were opening up for another band. Um. And then, yeah, I've seen the Yeah, and then I saw them at uh, whatever place in Ardmore. Oh, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Nope. Yeah. Um, nice, nice, nice. That's awesome. Uh, so if there was... If there were three Red Hot Chili Peppers songs that you would recommend for people to, like, get the essence of what you feel like the Chili Peppers are about, what are three songs you would recommend that people listen to? Okay, definitely Fire. Okay, Say tear that up. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Um, I like. Let me think. And it can, you know, it doesn't have to be from Mother's Milk. It could be no any album. Yeah, it can be from any album. Um, even the song from the uh the the Coneheads soundtrack. What was that? Soul Soul to Squeeze. I like yeah. that. I like that song. Um. Oh my gosh. Why am I drawing a blank? Um. Oh my gosh. <laughs> put me on the spot yeah anytime i ask people these questions they always draw a blank and it's like like do you like um i mean i only really know stuff from 
blood sugar sex nah, magic. But like, like, do you, uh, like, do you like uh, Sir Psycho Sexy? That one's okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what else? Um, what are the uh, Power of Equality? Do you like yeah, that song? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yes. Um, do you like Under the Bridge? Mm, a little. Is it just because you don't like it or you don't like that? That's the song that everyone knows about them. Because that, that's how I got introduced to them. When 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 that was on MTV my yeah, sophomore or junior kind of year. the thing is I like the bands when nobody really knows who mm-hmm. they are. Because mm-hmm. I feel like they're the most authentic. Yeah. Right? yeah. And then they become mainstream and poppy. And so then they play into this this character. And it's like almost like that's not who you were yeah. when I was listening. Yeah. Um, but they have that song Aeroplane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is off of One Hot Minute. I yeah, think. yeah. 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 And the only reason I, I love that song is it gives me a memory of a little girl I used to nanny. Okay. And I would play that for her. Yeah. And she knew every lyric. She was three. Mm. And um, she would just sing it. And so whenever I hear that, that song reminds me of her. Um, but um, I do. I like more underground, you know, the songs before they became... Uh, the albums before they came mainstream mm-hmm. or before people really knew. So you were like listening to like the early stuff too, yeah. like, like when uh, Hillel Slovic was in the band. Yes, and, yes. And, um, yes. Yeah, and I don't even remember the original drummer's name. Yeah, because Chad Smith didn't join until like they had done like three albums or like I'm I'm kind of hazy on my Chili Peppers. Think, was Chad Smith in Mother's Milk? I think he was in the one after that. Okay. Right? I don't yeah. think he was in Mother's Milk. Yeah, I'm. I'm honestly not sure. Know. Yeah, not the Google. Yeah, I don't know. And and like, were you were you listening to them when they first came out? Because of my brother. Okay. My brother is is very eclectic. Um, listens to any and everything. Yeah. Like he would have. I remember his like mix CD. I would steal it, and it was like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and then the next song was America, and the next song was Squeeze. Mm, the next mm-hmm. out, you know, yeah. um, artist was Squeeze. And then it was Sugar Hill Gang. Yeah. Like, and so, like, kind of following his lead Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. listening to these songs, like The Clash. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I love The Clash. But in the same vein, like, The Clash would be on, but then he'd put on, then Michael Jackson would be next, you know? And so I kind of learned to just listen to all different kinds of music Mm -hmm. that way. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. My, um... Uh, my oldest brother is very similar where he was re- like really into Van Halen. So yeah, my, my, uh, yeah, my oldest brother is 50. So when he was in high school, like Van Halen was at the peak of, yeah. of their thing. And, um, and the Van Halen brothers are from one town over from us in California. Oh, so wow. yeah, we lived in Altadena, California. They lived in Pasadena, okay. California. And I think, one of them, maybe both of them, had gone to the same high school that my brother, my oldest oh, brother, went crazy. to. Yeah, so like he was a full on connected Van Halen <laughs> dude. Like, and we had a big piano in our living room, and my brother could play fairly well. And so my parents bought him the Van Halen sheet music. So like he would always do like the intro for Jump on the <laughs> on the piano. So yeah, like I, awesome. yeah, like a lot of that stuff. Like I grew up listening to. Yeah, I mean like I loved Culture Club when I was a little kid. I really yeah. loved Madonna. Um, I, I don't know if I knew of New Order, like, um, cause, and even now the only song I know is, did they do How Does It Feel? Is that them? Or I'm trying to think of. They did, um, the Respect, A Little Respect. 
How does that go? Oh my god! Yeah, you make me sing. No, no, no. no I, I, yeah, I don't think I know that song. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I didn't really know New Order, but like Eurythmics. Okay, I knew. Um, yeah, the like Cure. So I knew of the Cure because the elementary school that I went to. Most people in my school, I went to the elementary and middle school I went to was like probably 70% white, 30% black. I don't know, maybe it was 60, 40. But most people, even me at that point, most of the white kids listen to white music. Most of the black kids listen to black music. Um, I listen to mostly rap and R&B because my middle brother, that's what he listened to. But my best friend, Bill Sloyer, who is white, he would listen to a lot of the rap that I listened to. So like he listened to Bobby Brown. He listened to new edition because I did. Okay. He listened to like heavy D and the boys. Cause I did. Right. But the, the reason why I'm saying all of that is I feel like literally every white girl that I went to elementary school with loved the cure, like love the cure. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know if I ever really heard any of their music because again, like the school was like, don't play that music. And right. like, you know, we weren't even allowed to play Dungeons and Dragons at my school because oh. it was considered satanic. Okay. And my middle brother had gone to that school before I did. Cause he's seven years older than me. So like they could play it then, but then they made an announcement at school. They were like, when I started there, they were like, you're not allowed to play Dungeons and Dragons anymore. Cause oh, it's satanic. Man. Yeah. My son plays Dungeons and Dragons, but he's like a little group. Yeah, like I I have play. a friend who lives down the street who like I yeah, it's I'm like it's just a, a thing. But yep. so so yeah, I think that like all of the white girls like they love the cure but like they would never like let the teachers know cuz yeah, didn't the dude have like he kind of wore like eyeshadow oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Long our our hair. our teachers would have been like that he's a demon. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I've I've never listened to the cure at this point. I listen I listened to the Smiths a fair amount. Like I got, okay. in, I got into the Smiths mm, maybe like two years ago. Okay. And in the last couple of, in the last six months, I've been listening to a lot of, a lot of the Smiths. No solo Morrissey, but m- mostly the Smiths. Okay. So they're not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Morrissey is like kind of really weird and like super racist about stuff. Yes. Um. <laughs> yeah. Because like I was reading some articles, I'm like. Oh. What? And yeah, yeah, it's like, yo, you're like super racist. Yeah, he is. Yeah. But what I find super interesting about that is that there's this like a lot of Mexican people love the Smiths and they love Morrissey. Really? Yeah. And so what I've heard is that his his vocal style and just like the passion that he brings to his singing, like it reminds them of like a lot like a, a lot of their indigenous music, like a lot of Mexican folk singers. Okay. So, because I I remember I was watching um, one of Anthony Bourdain's shows, you know, when he was still living. Yeah, yeah. I think it might have been Parts Unknown, maybe. And he, like, traveled down to Mexico and he was, like, you know, hanging out with people. And there was, like, this whole club where it's just, like... It's it's kind of like a a like Smiths slash Morrissey themed bar where like all of oh, the bands <laughs> do Smith songs and like they all dress like Morrissey yeah. and they've got like the kind of bouffant hairdos. And this was when I kind of sort of knew how racially problematic he was, but I w- I didn't know like the full extent. So I'm like I'm like I wonder if they know probably don't know <laughs> that like he he don't like brown people no, at all not at all. Um, 
Yeah, and it's weird because he I like their dollars. Yeah, yeah, he likes their money. He <laughs> don't like anything else. And yet, when when I started listening to the Smiths, it was only because um, a couple of their songs were featured in the movie Five Hundred Days of Summer. Okay, you know, which is a movie that I love. So I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay. I bought the soundtrack, and I'm like, all right. There's a couple of songs that I like, so I'll get uh, some of their albums. And then I started listening to that, and then I started like, you know researching about them because i research any band i'm like oh yeah he's racist Mm -hmm. um and then one day i was kind of bored and i'm like "Mm, well i know i know he don't like brown people but i'm gonna listen to like this entire greatest hit cd that i have anyways just to see what it's like and i was like wow this (laughs) music is really good and yeah like naomi she she really likes the smiths (laughs) yeah like she and sometimes when um uh, we always play music for Mercer when he goes to bed. So we have like we play the like the Baby Lullaby album. So okay. so yeah, like she's played the like you know Baby Lullaby version of the Smiths. Yeah yeah yeah. Um, so yeah, so I'm I I have I don't have the heart to be like Morrissey's super racist. <laughs> she wouldn't care anyways because no. she's sort of like yeah I mean you know. But his music's awesome. Yeah yeah. Um, what else is yeah. new? You know yeah. Walt Whitman, great poet, didn't didn't like the brown people. Exactly. Um. Well. Jen, this has been a thoroughly wonderful conversation. I've enjoyed it. I really appreciate you bringing your whole family uh, <laughs> by, you know, by the the house. Um, yeah, hanging out and yeah, talking to me, sharing your story. Yeah, sharing the journey that you've gone through. So I I really appreciate all of that. Um, yeah, I appreciate your honesty and your candor Thank just you. in talking about everything. Um, and yeah, you. You, you bring a good vibe and good energy to everything you do. So I wish you and your entire family uh, a lot of peace, happiness, love, and abundance today and every day forward. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And I never said the name of my business, but it's called Zen Peace. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've... <laughs> Uh, I, I, so I'll I'll stop in there. I'm so glad you did this. So yeah, this is what happens. I always I get so wrapped up in the conversations. I no, like I forget okay. about. It's like okay, there's stuff to do, and there's important questions that like I I never answer. You know, ask. No. So yeah. So please let people know. So if they want to see your work, find out about it, and like yeah, what are all of the ways that people can get connected to the work that you've generated? Okay. So the business name is Zen Peace Arts. My Insta is Jen, J-E-N-N-S-O-L-O-V-E. So it's Jen So Love. Um, I'm on Facebook. My last name is Nettingham. So if you put up Jennifer Nettingham, um, I my work is currently with Spiritual Creations 111 LLC. And they're also on Instagram and on Facebook. And... Currently, I'm just in the um, Delaware County area, Newtown Square, um, the historic tavern. And then my paintings will be moved to the Marchwood Center, which is an art studio my friend is opening in Exton, Pennsylvania. Excellent. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. One final question for you. Yes. If you have any, um, any words of advice for any young people that might listen, might be listening to this podcast, what, uh, yeah, what sort of nuggets of information do you do you have for the young people oh, out there? For the young people, follow your heart, and even if 
you have that doubt in your heart, but it's your first thing that you think of doing, follow through with what that is. Because when you have a thought, the first thought is the intuition. The ego is the second thought. Mm. So when you start to think, oh, I can't do that, that's your ego. That's not your intuition. Excellent. Jen, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, That wraps up this episode of the Punk Rock Barbershop. Thank you for listening, everybody. And uh, as always, I hope you find your story and I hope you find your truth.